0: Good morning and good afternoon and good evening wherever you are in the world. Thanks for coming to Office Hours. Welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do on officehours.global, our first hour a general discussion every day of production and IT related topics where we answer audience questions. Uh, the second hour is always a deeper dive into something. And today we're doing a what's in your bag kind of show, which means that we're going to be discussing a whole bunch of things that solve problems for us in the field and in field production. Also, it might be a good time to uh, think about what you're looking for for this holiday season, if you're of the gift uh, passing around persuasion. So uh, all those topics will be open in the second hour for discussion. Jason Base is going to lead the, the process of looking at that. But for right now, it's time for the show. So, Mitch, what have we got as our first question today?
1: Thank you, Bill. First in from Daniel Goldstein in Baltimore, Maryland, looking for recommendations on how to sync in post Audio recorded on a Mac from Dante versus the Blackmagic RAW files recorded on a Blackmagic design pocket camera. Is this the sort of problem a tentacle sync solves? And Alex is going to help us with that. Alex, good morning.
2: Good morning. Yeah, you can. You could use a tentacle sync. I mean, it's just going to give you an audio file that is going to be able to be read as timecode. It is, I mean, the reality is if you hit record roughly at the same time and you see the audio files... For most of us who grew up without that, um, you know, without that, without those uh, tools, uh, we were able to usually sync these within a minute or two. You know, the, the main thing is, is you just kind of drop it in. Now, if you're doing a whole bunch of takes, it becomes different and something like tentacle make a difference because one of, it just means that one of your channels is going to have an audio, you know, audio time code in it. So that's going to help you put that together. So, so putting that channel into in any devices that are there are going to help you. Um, but, but remember that, you know for most of us again uh, we did this <laughs> for a long time um, without without any of these tools um, one thing to do is have someone clap so if you're if you have lots of multiple sources and you don't have time code you don't have a tentacle sync you just have them go now that's the one time I don't do that when I when I'm testing sync <laughs> on a stage but I do do it as what we call like a little mini slate we just go like this and that just means that if we've got a bunch of inputs we can look for that that impact that um, uh, that sim- that uh, impulse that we can use, so it's it, that can be useful as well. Mitchell,
1: well, you're asking for a post. Uh, the tentacle is not a post solution; it's a pre-production uh, uh, solution. But some uh, d- uh, editing systems, like Premiere, um, have a way to find a, a sync point beginning of the file, and then it tends to uh, sync the two uh, uh, the two files together, so you can cut between them on st- and pretty be pretty darn close. I think Bill would have to answer whether or not uh, there's such an animal in uh, Final Cut.
0: Yeah, there is. There are actually uh, Final Cut, and I think most of the modern NLEs, I'm pretty sure Resolve does this as well, uh, will allow you a tiered series of sync possibilities. If you have some kind of time code, whether that's SMPTE time code or uh, camera time code, other time code, they will often look at that and sync multiple cameras by that. If not, they try to match an audio waveform, uh, between two files to use that as a sync and you can put markers and things like that if you have something that's very complex uh, it's typical in Final Cut at least to, to put markers at a place where you can determine a similarity between multi-cam shoots and then once it has a marker the software is smart enough to understand that you want that for the sync and it'll line everything up really easy. Alex do you have oh no I think Alex uh, yeah uh, Mitchell Hill is back in Mitch
1: no, I just wanted to say uh, sometimes it's good to slate the front and the, the ending of the take so you have it um, bracketed on both ends to make sure Can it Can be
0: the old history in in slating was that you would use an up a regular side up slate at the beginning and then what's called a tail slate you turn the slate upside down and do another sync point there and if you need for some reason both of those. I will say that in the modern file-based workflow era I don't use any of that anymore because I'm going to be pre-trimming the head and tails off. And what I want is the performance itself without anything ahead of it or behind it. That's too complicated for my editing style today. I want the actual pre-cut lumber of scenes, but each person has their own work style. And however you do it, if it works for you, it's the right way for
1: you to do it. Let's move on to the next question. Frojan Manuel in San Diego, California asks, Could Next Levels model getting fiber to the home by community and uh, HOA finally break the barriers? And Jason's going to help us.
3: Boy, we can certainly hope so. But um, on on a nationwide scale, I I sincerely doubt it. Uh, Fiber to the
0: home is such an important thing. And Alex. Yeah, the the
2: the. the, um, what what they're doing here is they're they're having the actual homeowners pay for the fiber. Like you they buy it up front and then they're only paying a maintenance fee. They're not really paying for a service. They're buying the fiber. And so definitely for uh, far-flung, more wealthy communities, this is great. <laughs> you know, because um, you know, they don't have as many houses around. It doesn't make sense to send <clears throat> I mean he, they they make the argument in the article that, that this is for everybody, but it, I think that generally it's for top twenty percent earners living in a fairly and are willing to say, I'm willing to spend $4,000 on having, um, you know, once or $6,000 once, and then 20 bucks a month or whatever, to just have a one gig fiber to my house, you know, and, and to make that work. And what, I don't know what those, all those numbers are, but, you know, I know that, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot of choices there. We finally saw Frontier come through my space as well as Comcast. So, um, so for, for even the density that I live in, um, it's already being solved, but but I think that there are plenty of places that that would that would really benefit from from this, and I think there are plenty of homeowners that would that would pay for it.
1: Mitch Hill, I can't believe the timing of your question because just before showtime, and I had to tell him I'd call him back. Uh, the head of our uh, technical group on our HOA um, called me to say, "Hey, uh, Verizon is putting fiber to the building. What do you think we should do?" And it's going to be a wholehearted yeah, do it. There you go, Alex. You want to get and back in?
2: And what I will say, the best thing that's going to happen is it's going to it put it just lights a fire between what Elon Musk is doing with Starlink and with all these other things, lighting fires under the under our current providers to move faster, <laughs> because they're they're now seeing some real competition. And you know, I think that usually we stay out of politics, but the best thing we can do as we look at an election season is put pressure. On people to um, provide poll access you know heavy heavy fines for for delaying poll access if we did that our our internet costs would you know increase by 10x in speed and drop in half in cost it's just poll access that holds us out
0: it was interesting for me i lived in downtown phoenix for a long time and We didn't even have cable TV, and at one point, they were uh, bringing in a cable company, and I went down to the city council meeting and actually stood up and said, I'm in a place where my television reception is terrible because of all the big buildings around me. I get a lot of multipaths and ghosts. It's terrible, so I'm really looking forward to cable, so please don't forget about downtown. At 5 a.m. the next morning, (laughs) there was a truck in my alley getting me cable because Sometimes you just escalate things into a political level and suddenly they wake up and they start to do things. Uh, that was one of the most shopping, shocking instances in my life because I just took the time to stand up and do that. So uh, it's possible. Hopefully everybody gets high speed because it really is great. Let's move on to the next question.
1: From Douglas Carmichael, Douglas asks, what issues can arise from interfacing guest equipment to an existing Dante network? Jason. If
3: you're using hardware, um, you know, the dedicated, um, you know, plugins and plug-outs made by Audinate, I I would say almost none. Um, If you're using software, basically anything that can go wrong on a Dante network can
1: absolutely go wrong. Mitchell? I'm not a tier three uh, expert on Dante, but I do know that if you plug a guest device on there, it may fight for uh, who's the leader, meaning who gets to do the sync. So the device you're plugging in may not be the best choice for that.
0: We had a long discussion yesterday. So if some of you missed yesterday's show, go back and watch some of that. You'll learn a lot. I know I learned a lot about how that this functions in the back-end technology. Next question.
1: From Clive Kitchener from Sook, British Columbia, Canada. Are there any pitfalls switching from a cable ISP to a fiber ISP? Tell us 940 megabits per second up and down. And there's a link there to it. If yes... What should I be aware of, and what questions should I be asking?
0: And uh, Tom's going to start us off. Well, if
1: they're moving you to Fiber, you're going to go from a modem
4: to an ONT. That's an optical network termination. And the ONT does not provide routing, so you will need a router.
3: Okay, Jason. Jason. I can pick it up from there. Um, you need a much more capable router because although um, that little um, piece of synchronization uh, that uh, you know the cable companies download into your modem is, is woefully inadequate, it does provide some sort of filtering, um, some base level firewall unless you turn it off. So you need a better router. And um, another one that I've actually seen firsthand, um, the gateways that are provided for fiber, if you manage to saturate your bandwidth, Um, Instead of queuing, um, it will simply drop the packet, and that can be confusing. So, um, yeah, that's about it.
2: Alex. I mean, the other problem is just a, a much heavier use of the internet, and uh, you know, the tendency to send other people really, really large files and not be not be clear that it might take them two days to download. Uh, now that you have a one gig each way, <laughs> those are, those are the those are the biggest pitfalls, and and then you just have to tamp down the the arrogance around your neighbors when they say, "Oh, that took a long time," and you're like, "Oh, I, I think that took like thirty seconds." You know, so so be careful of of those pitfalls as well to maintain your relationships around you.
0: My last property, we got fiber, and I think I was guilty of all of those things. It really is a change, and it's it's
1: magical. Let's go on to the next question. From Scott Mueller in Germantown, New York, Scott asked, how can we achieve the intimacy you get with the speaker looking right into the camera uh, on digital-first events when doing a live hybrid event? Uh, should we use a podium camera or have a camera right on the confidence monitor when Q&A happens? David
5: Paskin will start us off then, Alex. Uh, David? Uh, Scott, you can't. And, and that's not technology's fault. That's chemistry and biology. That's because when there are other human beings in the space, we are naturally drawn to pay attention to them. Uh, so you can put a camera right up your presenter's nose and it it really won't make much of a difference, I think.
2: Alex? Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like what we're going to see in the next year and next couple of years is a digital first event, which is, is that we're going to start seeing um, us take the speaker and put them somewhere other than the stage. Because when you start thinking about hybrid events and you start thinking about multi-location events, so I'm gonna have an event that happens in New York and LA and London all at the same time. The The issue is, is that it's too much data also for the speaker to have, They you wanna have screens in front of them so they understand what's going on and you can't do that on a stage or a podium. And so um, it's it, it's much more, complicated to to do that. And so what you really want to do is move them into a studio. That way also all your other speakers can come in from wherever and you're not trying to figure out how to make that hybrid thing Actually, work. It, it's not the hybrid is a fad. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna last. You, I know you'll have to do it for a couple of years because people at events are very desperate to do that. But you know we're gonna stop doing it within the next five years. You know, like we're you know the only old companies with old ideas will do it. Um, you know, so it's really where we're gonna go is the speakers are all virtual. Some of them are in studios. Some might be in studios in the same building as the as the people. Still have people come in. You know they'll still have dinner and they'll still hang out and have the hallway conversations but the speaker will come in via a screen, you know, and that's because it, it puts everybody, if you have three cities that do this, it'll put everybody on the same playing field. They'll all feel like they're, and, and they're, we're actually providing an experience that you can't get in the real world. You cannot look eye to eye, even when the person's on stage, they're not looking eye to eye with you all the time. They're looking at this person and they're looking at that person and they're looking at that person. What a digital first event allows for is for them to have eye to eye contact with absolutely every person in the event all the time and that's something you cannot do in the physical world and so we're going to see uh i strongly believe now you know and and we've done some events that have already proven it then you're going to see that that's the that is the future and we'll keep on messing around with this hybrid thing for another couple years
0: And it's interesting. You may have heard us discussing the last couple of days. Can you go too far? And I think the answer is yes. And I learned that I had a corporate gig in a movie theater with the speaker. CEO was up there and he was doing an address to the troops. And my camera operator, Carol, on camera one had pushed in very tightly on his face. And he turned around and saw his giant head on the screen, and it kind of freaked him out. And I do think, in that circumstance, when you get into bigger and bigger IMAG kind of circumstances, you can get too close. Oh. I mean, normally closer is more intimate, but it, we're all trying to struggle with this new language. Do you have
4: a thought? Yeah, there's,
2: yeah I've done some stuff in theaters, <laughs> so um, and it's a couple things. One is you never put this; you generally never put the speaker in the theater that you're in. You don't put the speaker behind themselves, so we don't like we don't do that unless we do a little corner of them somewhere. But we won't put a big speaker behind themselves because it freaks them all out, no matter what size they are. It's just they're three or four times bigger than they are normally, and um, it makes them very self-conscious. So we try not to do that. The second thing is, is that it's interesting. You think that you want you 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 have to think about in the same way. When you do audio, the audio works that works in a room in what we call a near field situation does not work in a theater because the physics are different. In the same way with the theater, the framing doesn't work the same way either. So as the screen gets bigger, the person has to get smaller in relationship to the screen. You can't shoot it like you would shoot a live stream and you can't shoot it like you'd shoot TV with all the close-ups and everything else. You literally want to pull back. And have medium wide to wide shots almost all the time on a theater because that's going to give that looks much more natural to the to the to the folks that are sitting in the theater, especially the ones that are sitting near the front. Because otherwise, if you if you put a person's head in the top third of a of a theater, that person is looking way up, you know, and and can't, and it looks very odd. So, a lot of times we bring that head down a bit. Um, you know, to be in the, you know, so where the eyes are really going across the top third, the, the the border between the middle third and the top third, the eyes go right across there. It will, when you look at it on a small screen, it looks like the most odd framing ever. When you do it on a, on, when you look at it on a big screen, it looks very, very natural and just, and it's very pleasurable to watch.
5: David Paskin. The worst thing about hybrid events is that they, they trained us to think that the same rules apply to, on-site events, and and digital events. So it may be that for a digital event, if I'm a digital participant, that having the person's mug up on, you know, right on the screen is is appropriate. That is completely inappropriate when you're in a live theater, having their big head on the screen. So we just have to start, we have to allow ourselves, Gives ourselves permission to start thinking differently that these are different in-person excuse me on-site and online events are different events they have different rules and we just have to accept that and embrace it Mitch
1: I'm wondering if is it is possible to go with a very small uh, teleprompter as an interrotron I I use this little uh, device here that's very small it's only about seven inches and if you could get the camera in there it goes on like a mat box Maybe that's small and unobtrusive enough that the the uh uh the CEO or the person doing the show uh could see it without too much trouble.
2: Uh Alex? I've done that. Um it's it's super weird for the people people in the room. Uh, we did it uh so <laughs> we did, I got we got a little bit of friction from it. We actually did it in the synod with uh, the Pope, <laughs> so we put a we had a C three hundred that was sitting on a little a little teleprompter that sat right in front. Now it was a hangout, so that they were the the primary audience were the students that were in different countries talking about things and um, and uh, but we 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 did that and it worked fine for the for the students that are online. The problem with hybrid is you can't serve both markets, and so we ba- built something that was incredible for the students you know the students got to you know um got to got to speak to you know directly to the pope um uh you know through this thing and it looked great and sounded great but for everybody else in the audience the pope was hidden behind this not hidden but you could see the screen and there was things and lights and everything else um and so that that for the live stream and for the and for the the pieces it was fine but but for the folks in the room it was not fine and so, and, you know, and so I think that you're going to either make it great for someone online or you're going to make it great, or you're going to, you know, it's going to be great for the folks online. It's going to be great for the people in the room, or it's going to be kind of muddled and weird for everybody. You know, like that's the, that's what a hybrid, it's like that duck boat, you know, that, that, that kind of, kind of works on the outs, on the, on the, wor, on in the water and kind of works on, on the street, but it's really goofy. That's a hybrid event.
0: So I let that go a little while because I thought that was really useful information and I thought it fascinating. Let's move on to the next question now.
1: David Paskin from Miami, Florida, and here on our panel asks when the companion beta build is updated for Zoom OSC ISO, do you need to rebuild your Stream Deck buttons after updating? Jason? I can't
3: speak directly to um to Zoom ISO, but yeah, in companion, um, there is an import-export tab. So you can import and export. And um, personally, the way that I do this is with um, two separate memory cards. That way, if anything is is awry, I can just shut it down and switch it back.
5: David Paskin. But I guess what I'm asking is, when they update the the build itself, the the modules, um, and, and so let's say they've they've you know updated the feedback on participant um, buttons, and I've already built my companion module and I already have it on my stream deck, once I download that new beta build, do I need to redrag in each of my participants? I I guess what I'm asking is, does the build affect the buttons themselves? Jason, do you know?
3: I mean, I can guess, but I'd rather not. Yeah. Let's see, who are our
0: companion
5: experts that you should look out for, obviously? uh, I think technically I'm supposed to be one of those people because I'm (laughs) teaching the Stream Deck session. But (laughs) if we don't have an answer, that's okay. You don't
0: know every single thing about the software, (laughs) including how it was coded and what it does? I'm shocked. Uh, let's, uh, Let's dive into the next question.
1: Chris Widener is here from Lafayette, Indiana. What tools have you used and can recommend for doing text polls? like sending a text to participants and tabulating the responses.
2: And Alex is gonna help us. Yeah, we haven't done here. We've researched this, but we haven't done it. And there's two reasons for that. Number one is usually uh, it, it's easier to use web-based uh, polling tools. And then if you scale up you go oh, i want a lot of people in a lot of different places it's actually pretty expensive like every poll you know you're you're now paying for those texts and when every time we did the math on this we were like oh that doesn't make any sense anymore like it just it just you know it's you really have to um look at those budgets i don't know what we, we haven't looked at it for a couple of years so maybe it got a lot better but it, it it turned into like oh if we have a thousand people sending polls in um are those polls really worth it because they're costing us like you know, $50 a poll or something like it was not a, a trivial number that, that we looked at. And so we, we've always walked away from it because of that.
0: Okay. Next question.
1: Jeff Cohen, Miami beach, Florida asked, does anyone know of an automated zoom test meeting? One can join that shows real time specs for the audio and video it's receiving, not what I'm sending.
0: Doesn't look like anyone's weighed in on this one yet. And I'm, Oh, Alex will, Alex.
2: It you're, Data is is what it's sending out. Um, as far as the meeting goes, that's going to be dependent on on the quality of the connection for the the test meeting on the other side. Uh, you're not going to if it if you're capable of pulling that in. You're generally going to pull it in. The only time that changes is if someone joins with a mobile device that is going to drive everything down to seven twenty. Um, you know, so that's that's where you're going to see that. I, I think I don't think that there's any you know I don't think there's any good benefit on the other end for you to just see if it received it. That dependency is really dependent on other people jumping in. So if you go in by yourself and the other side has a good connection and you have a good connection, the send that you send out should be identical to the one that you receive. And be very surprised if that's different. Where it changes is where different people with different requirements jump into it and the reflector does what it needs to do to serve everybody efficiently.
0: Next question.
1: David Brady from New York, New York. Zoomtopia exhibitors... Is there a list of exhibitors that participated in Zoomtopia 2022? There was a head-worn camera viewfinder I saw on a table in the Zoom Discovery Portal. I think it was shown. Uh, I think it was shown in the second day keynote. I hope Guy saw it. Well, fortunately,
6: Guy is here. Guy. Yeah, I did see it, and I had uh, looked up some of this uh, uh, these type of products before the show. Uh, basically, this one's a. By a company called RealWire, and uh, it is like a computer that's uh, got a camera and a monitor that goes over your eye, and then you can listen and talk. And this is the future. I, I used to own a Hololens, and it's similar technology. The Hololens was cool because it had the built-in uh, ability to put in a SIM card, and uh, this one I'm not sure how it gets its internet, but uh, they're pretty handy. I mean, it's the future. This one actually does thermal as well. So for those folks that are doing like uh, industrial type applications where they need to see where heat is. And the person from afar, like an engineer, can be helping out from afar as somebody else is is looking at it. So uh, this is the future. I mean, they're really cool. And I put a link in the chat directly to this site. Get to Gee, which in your server in version. the
3: rack is having problems? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Get to star in your own alien versus pres- predator movie in real life. Alex, you had some thoughts?
2: Yeah, I've, I've actually used the RealWear, um, you know, headset. And it is, um, and I've had one for, for a little while. It's probably the closest thing to Google Glass that... Uh, that I've seen, um, it comes under instead of over, which is is a little bit more, a little bit better. The uh, I didn't use any cellular; I just connected it to Wi-Fi. It is an Android, uh, you know, kind of an Android solution there. Um, it is really designed, yeah, for for point of. You're an engineer. You're someone looking at something, and you can send that back. And there's ways to highlight things, and so on and so forth, that you have in there, so someone can like someone on the far end can see what you're seeing and draw on what you're on what the the video that you're sending to them and you will see their drawing on it which is kind of cool um you know so that you can they can put an arrow like this is the bolt that you need to loosen you know and they can actually literally draw on it to show it to you and it'll show up on your little headset so i think that they've they've really figured out the workplace area the the the, the weakness in it is that it doesn't have any well, at least the, the one that I tested didn't have any um, any kind of uh, um, jo- you know anything that would that would stabilize it. So the stabilization wasn't there, and so there was a lot of movement in it. That because I was looking at it as all I, I'm still looking for the perfect headset to record training 1080p 30. I want to have it, you know, down right in front of me so that I can see what I'm shooting and then have my hands out in front of me working on things. And the only thing that has been close to that has been Google Glass. <laughs> so, so um, the, the, you know, and I've tested a lot of things to try to test. it. So real, real was one of the ones that I tested. And I think for the vertical that it is targeted to, it, it does an exceptionally good job for the vertical I was looking for. It didn't quite fit the model.
0: So we're going to remind everybody it's a great time to toss questions in. We are This expert panel is cutting expertly through uh, questions that are really rapid clips. So if you have thoughts, put them in uh, the question queue. But we're ready to go to the next one.
1: And it's from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. Chris asks, there are quite a few texts to donate services out there with wildly varying fees. Does anyone have a recommendation for one to use for nonprofit donations?
5: David Paskin going to help us out here, David. Sure. I'm a fan of Give Lively, which I've used for my uh, the temple here in, in our school. It has text to donate. It also has uh, web pages, lots of other things, but uh, it's really simple. You choose your, your custom uh, message, your custom code, uh, text it to 44321, and it brings them right to the, a really nice mobile friendly page.
0: Sounds great. Let's move on to the next question.
1: Javier Alfaro from Mexico City and here on our panel. Since the last iOS beta, which I think includes beta firmware for AirPods, I've been experiencing a bug where sound drifts from one side to the other. Has anyone else experienced this?
7: Javier is going to start us off here, Javier. I just want to give a little more uh, like context. It's super weird because you're like listening to the AirPods. It happened to me in the in the iPad, in the iPhone, which both are running the beta, but also in the computer that's not running beta software. That's why I think it's a firmware thing. And then the sound like starts moving to one side. I. Think it's a delay issue because it gets to a point where you can hear like separate, like you hear both uh, like different audio. So I'm not sure if anyone has uh, experienced this or
3: Jason. So my guess is that this has to do with um, with another known bug that that um, kind of no matter whether you turn it on or off, you end up with dynamic head tracking turned on. This is the feature where, you know, if your if your iPhone is to the left, it will ever so slightly start pairing to the left. And even a small mistake along those lines can absolutely mess with this. I would go into control center, hold down the volume, and then just turn off spatial audio at the lower right. Um, hopefully that and, you know, Hopefully that'll turn off both spatial audio and head tracking. Maybe you can only get away or you can get away with just turning off one of those, but that's where I'd start. Alex.
2: Yeah, I'm not in the beta and I'm experiencing a little bit of the same thing. And it does look, it does seem to be when I'm moving around. So I do, I do think that Jason might be onto something as related to spatial audio. I have to admit that spatial audio kind of drives me crazy. You know, like it's, it, it is like when I'm walking around, it should know that and just stop doing it. But it's, it is uh so, um, I mean, I love spatial audio in general. I, I want to hear all that music all around me. I just don't want to do any head tracking. So, turning getting you know, not head tracking is important. I think that that was a feature that someone thought about too much, you know. And so, uh, but I am noticing the same thing, um, and I I don't hear it smoothly either. It goes over to one side then comes back to another. Um, and I hear it on my AirPods. I hear it a couple times a day. It's usually just a couple seconds, but it's it's uh, it, it it happens. I'm on I'm on them a lot.
0: So I use mine a lot, too. And I haven't had that particular problem. But mine has been uh, my right ear transparency keeps switching on and giving me a little feedback out of that. So I have to go to my phone uh, once a week or so and just knock transparency off there. Javier, do you have another thought?
7: Yeah, I actually tried what Jason said—that's uh, turning off the, the the tracking and the spatial. I, I thought it could be like that, uh, but it, it keeps getting weird. The other thing I didn't say: when it starts moving and you press like the noise cancel, it only sounds in one ear, like turns on in ds one and turns off when you turn it off. It changes. So I'm pretty sure it's like I already reported to to Apple. So I'm gonna I'll let you know what they tell me.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there's a little instability in the software right now because I'm having some of those click problems too.
3: Jason? I've got one one more dumb thought along those lines. Um, if you have severely out-of-touch um, out AirPods such that, you know, one battery is maybe 30% lower than the other, you will absolutely run into that problem. So okay. make sure that they are exactly the same and don't just rely on what the case tells you. Okay. So uh, a
0: variety of solutions. Hopefully one of those will help you solve the problem or an update may help you solve the problem. Next question.
1: Stefan Fischer from Würzburg, Germany, asks, Black Friday is ahead. Is there anything you did not buy until now because you were waiting for that opportunity? Guy's going to start us off here, Guy.
6: (laughs) Yeah, the one that I've been waiting for is uh, the MIDI software. That's the software that's for play out. And they usually have a really good uh, Black Friday deal. And um, I have one of their licenses that I bought in a previous year. And to upgrade cost about as much as the license on Black Friday. So I've been waiting for that one. The other thing is you're going to see a lot of crazy deals because what happened during the supply chain shortage was uh, we ordered a lot of stuff. And so a lot of stuff came in eventually when the uh, supply chain uh, issues with the ports, uh, the backup uh became something that was a non-issue we got in tons of stuff so you'll see this across the board with lots of manufacturers so keep your credit card at the ready uh, for some of those deals because they're coming mitch hill
1: somebody's offers literally sucks the numbers off your credit card while it's in your pocket um i'm looking for some software from isotope and waves of course waves you have to wait two weeks for something to happen but uh that's where i'm headed
0: don't scare me with near field communication (laughs) that could
2: someday be possible alex I'm getting a new refrigerator. I'm pretty proud of that. Uh the 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 sales are already already out there the early sales on the refrigerator. My refrigerator I literally died. It's not like I'm upgrading like, oh, it'd be really good to have a new refrigerator. I don't have a freezer right now. <laughs> so anyway, so the freezer died and so um I'm getting a uh, General Electric Profile. Let
3: um, I me mean, guess, it doesn't have Wi-Fi because that's a terrible idea.
2: <laughs> I really wanted it. So here's the funny thing is is that I was pretty sure I was going to get the Samsung with the the Samsung with the big screen on the front or the LG. I was like, I got to have a a fridge with a screen. Like, I just thought that would be really cool. And I went to Home Depot and literally touched the screen and said, nope. (laughs) Like, it was just, it wasn't, it was was something about it. The way it responded, I was like, oh, that's going to drive me crazy. And I just, it literally took me like, I was really glad. Because I was just ready to buy it, like online and just have it show up. And I was like, so sure that I wanted it. But as soon as I touched it, I was like, it was just very uh buggy you know like just didn't feel like people really understood that this needs to be really smooth and easy to use and it's you know i immediately took me to a page that it got locked into and i couldn't figure out how to get home and you know it was just like okay they they haven't figured out the interface part yet so um so then i just looked for build quality so same price but just build quality and really just all the little bits and things that i wanted and, and so we got it's like it's, anyway so that's what i'm getting First, I probably Mitchell. other things, but that's that's the big thing I'm getting. Mitchell. Good
1: choice, uh, Alex, because I have a profile that's been there for 30 years, and I might replace it with a Bosch, but we'll see. Also, uh tires for the car. Very expensive proposition mm. when you have a Benz. It,
2: do they have do they have tires? Do they do tires go on?
1: Absolutely. Sam's Black Club Friday. and discount tire. Absolutely. Yeah, um NTV, which is tire rack, and Tire kingdom, um mm. offering a hundred and fifty dollar. Um, mail-in rebate right now. There's a Tire Kingdom?
0: Excellent. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking for a new microwave. We had a microwave die. And I got to tell you that the advancement in technology has got me flummoxed totally. There are so many new kinds of uh, technologies. You go to buy something like a microwave, do you want it with or without Radiant? Do you want it uh, with or without? Uh, There's just so many new
5: things. And there's a whole new kind of microwave, I guess. It's, It's just complex. David? I love that on a show about media and events, we're talking about tires and microwaves. Uh, I'm going to get some new pants.
2: <laughs> there we go. There we go. Very good. Very good.
1: All right. I guess it's time to move on, although that was fun. Pro John Brandwell from San Diego, California has a question. Is there a good way to use ND, neutral density filters with a small rig cage on an iPhone 13 or Pro Max? Tom Ferguson.
4: Well, yes, there's is there are two ways uh they do come with the bayonet filter uh from moment where you can actually put in a neutral density filter but that will probably vignette on you i prefer to just cut out a piece of gel and tape it
0: on the front oh there you go going old school for us i've done it both ways and they both work let's move on to the next question
1: Next one in from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. I understand from our Zoom rep that Zoom Production Studio will require an added Zoom events license. Though it will function in Zoom webinars, why limit access to Zoom Production Studio? Guy got in first, Guy.
6: they're a for-profit company they got to make money so in order to roll out these tools they got to hire staff and we know who they've hired (laughs) so so adam Tao is the gentleman behind the scenes who we know that uh also created mix effect he's uh uh doing a bang up job and so to have all that staff and i met some of the developers at the show there is a team there's a lot of people and those people require money and so the zoom webinars uh it's one fee, but the zoom events is 99 bucks a month for the 500. And I think it's well worth it if you're, if you want to encourage them to, uh, you know, pushing, keep pushing the the ball down the field with creating new services and, and uh, yeah, it takes, it takes money and they got to show profit.
2: Alex. Yeah, and I also believe that for large corporate clients, webinar is not something that they—it's part of a big package, so it doesn't have a um, specific revenue stream. And so, uh, events does have that. <laughs> so, so it allow it makes it a little easier for for them to um, to make sure that again, Adam's paid for, um, and I think and, and other things. And and I think I was pretty uh, I was pretty against it when I first heard about it. I was like, this is a horrible idea. And and I do think that it will. The the hard part is, is that. Webinar is very—it's uh, out there with a lot of people using it, and only a handful of people will use events in the same way. I mean, a small percentage, less probably less than one percent of webinar users will ever sign up for events, and so it's a little unfortunate because people won't have a better experience, you know, in that in that area. Um, it builds up more business for us <laughs> you know, because people won't, uh, you know, mo- uh, most webinar users won't even know that events exists, you know, like that's, that's the problem. And, and so, um, but I do, I do understand why they're doing it. And I think that it's probably a valid reason there, but I think that they maybe you know, they have the opportunity to kind of change the world and how events occur and hiding it behind events may, may slow that down a fair bit.
1: Fair enough. Next question. Douglas Carmichael is back, and he says, My 2017 MacBook Pro Quad-Core i7 has a keyboard that is starting to fail, considering that a Mac Studio will be my main system. Would the 14-inch M1 Pro MacBook Pro still be the best adjunct uh, to it for audio Xcode work? Or could I get away with a Maxed M2 MacBook Pro uh, Air? MacBook Air. Alex Lindsay.
2: From a speed perspective, you can probably use it. For, use that for either one of those things. Um, the, the main thing is you just have to know that you need a separate monitor. You're not going to be able to do any of that work on a 14-inch monitor. It's just too small.
1: There you go.
0: Next question.
1: Next question is in from David Paskin, Miami, Florida. And here on our panel, did anybody get cool swag from Zoomtopia? I just got my whale puzzle and spent the evening putting it together. A whale puzzle. A
5: whale puzzle. Do you have a camera on it somewhere, David? A whale puzzle. So it's it's uh yeah it it comes in two uh, sheets. It's it's like little really 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 thin plywood, and you have all these pieces. You have to pop them all out and put it together, and you get your little zoom whale, your Zoomtopia whale. Wow! Um, if I were smarter, it would not have taken me all night. But um, <laughs> this a, a couple uh, maybe a week ago, someone actually mentioned that you can get the shirt the swag on on and i clicked on the link that they shared and i didn't see a shirt but i saw a whale and it's free so go to the zoomtopia store and get yourself a whale
0: honestly how many hours did it
5: take for assembly it it took about an hour and a half but but i'm not very (laughs) bright so (laughs) i
6: don't think that's true (laughs) guy cochran all right the coolest swag of the year award goes to drum roll please this is uh, my son putting together his lego ptz camera from bird dog <laughs> so this wasn't handed out to everybody but uh they had him kind of stashed now, as i was talking to dan meal and Eamon, who have been on the show here before they kicked me down one of these things and we sat there and put it together and uh the, this part actually moves up and down and uh, we stuck the stickers on it was a lot of fun so that's the coolest swag of the year award that i got at zoomtopia
0: that's pretty awesome. Are those actual uh, official Legos? Are they? They are. Yeah. Wow. Neat. So you could mm-hmm. put that on top of your Lego castle and be the only person with
6: a <laughs> surveillance castle. That's <laughs> yeah, outstanding. A, it's 8K HDR, you 35 millimeter full frame <laughs> sensor. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, ST2110. It's
1: awesome. Perfect. All right. Next question from Douglas Carmichael. Here's his question um, I've heard of devices that use liquid nitrogen. To create fog effects like this, and he's got a link to it there. Um, would the lighting director be responsible for them, or a dedicated uh, special effects operator?
0: That's a dangerous technology. So we're going to our dangerous technology expert, Alex Lindsay.
2: I know almost nobody that uses liquid nitrogen for smoke effects. Um, there are there are a lot of other tools that can do that. It's it's a matter of cooling it down. So you need the smoke to be cooler so that it will it will want to go down because most haze and most smoke machines are putting something out that will it's really it's warmer than the air and so it's of course it's going to disperse um but these cooler ones there's one by um i can't think of the name of the company but it's called cumulus that does not use that will adhere to the ground and build kind of low level. Um, but the problem with you know low level smoke, and I just can't think of who makes the cumulus, but it's um it's one of the typical DJ companies um, that that make those, and they're not super expensive um, to get those, and those will go be low line. But we get those kind of ones so that we we did did one about a year ago, and almost a, almost exactly a year ago and you kind of pumped it in and it would just go up over the bar and come down over the top. And and it's, it's, it's really nice, but we didn't need to use liquid nitrogen for that. And I wouldn't recommend it. It's really dangerous. (laughs) Liquid nitrogen is a, is really cool. I make my, I make my ice cream with it, but, but it's, um, but you like, I make ice cream with it, but I have a decant, I have the, the, um, I have a specific case for it, (laughs) you know? And so, uh, and I have, and I go to a place and I'm very careful with it. And when we use it, we put Uh, you know, we put safety goggles on and, you know, like we make it, but it makes great ice cream, just in case you're wondering, but not, I wouldn't use it for smoke, but the ice cream, I highly recommend.
0: I'm just remembering back in theater arts with the 55 gallon drum doing dry ice fog effects. And I'm missing those days. Mitchell, you had a thought?
1: Liquid nitrogen is very dangerous. You can burn the heck out of yourself. My um, skin doctor uses it to hit spots on my face. So
2: you wouldn't want it. Yeah, this is a beware. Air and gas, by the way, you know, or, or gas and air—is it um, air, gas? Make is the place that you can go actually buy liquid nitrogen, just in case you're wondering. And um, and again, I highly—I don't recommend it for smoke. I high—if you have kids or you just want to impress people, building making homemade ice cream with it is exceptional. <laughs> you go. Next question,
1: Javier uh, Javier Alfaro from Mexico City, and here in our panel. I want to buy a new TV. No real need for smart apps since I'm using an Apple TV 4K. What should I look for for spec-wise to future-proof my purchase? Any specific brand or model recommendations? Okay, we got Mitchell, Tom, and Alex. Mitchell, you're in. Javier, I'm I'm with you. I I miss the old days where you plug the HDMI into it and out comes the picture without having to navigate through some kind of smart app. Um, And there are some Sony um, and LG, I believe, uh, that are they call them dumb monitors, but uh, they're not so dumb because they're uh, uh, they just allow you to uh, plug a uh, a cable into it and off it goes. So that's that would be the way I'd go. And the new hot setup nowadays is micro LED. That's the new thing to go for. Tom Ferguson.
4: Well, I'm partial to the LG. Uh, I would recommend you go over to a YouTube channel called HDTV Test. The young man there has some interesting ways to uh, guide you through the setup, make sure that you check all the boxes. Uh, On my LG, though, what really made the biggest difference was I bought a maintenance remote from Amazon and actually turned off a couple of features that could only be done underneath the covers, and that allowed me to get better HD
0: interesting Alex
2: yeah the the um most of the folks that we that we worked with that know a lot about monitors uh, lean towards the LGs Um, you want to make sure that you have uh as a basic thing you want to make sure you have Dolby Vision because that's going to be the highest quality um HDR solution uh so Dolby Vision if you can HDR 10 um, plus, which is the I don't want to pay for Dolby Vision version of Dolby Vision from from uh, Samsung, and um, and so having both of those means you have maximum compatibility with anything that's coming through. But generally, if someone's going to do HDR HDR 10 plus, they'll do Dolby Vision as well, because they're both very similar formats. Um, the uh, uh I the LG I believe it's the it's the C ones. The L they're CX and C ones. And I think that the ones that we've used in the past are the C ones. Um they're a little bit more expensive. CXs are a little less expensive. Both of them are almost identical. <laughs> like they're they're pretty close together. Um, but they're but but those are the ones that a lot of people in the know have been buying to when they put them, you know, for testing, like when they're actually looking at it. Obviously 4K is a minimum. You may want to think about 8K. Um and then um, you know, just to, so that you're I think you'll end up buying another TV before you see 8K footage that, you know, in any kind of way, shape or form. So I think the, the 8K is cool if you're generating 8K, you know, well, you know, content, but if you're not generating 8K content, I don't know what you'd see uh, in the next five years, you know, in my opinion. I think it's just, there's a transport problem of getting it to your screen that is that is um, expensive and hard. It's not so much that the technology can't do it, it's just we can't get it to you um, in a reasonable amount of bandwidth. So, so it's probably three to five years before we see any any real 8K, and and it's and if you don't get a monitor that's over 80 inches, you have very little chance of seeing the difference between 4K and 8K. So, I would get it as big as you can, you know, big, uh, you know, 85, you know, 83, I think is now the thing. I don't, know, I don't know how why how they build these wafers, but 83 uh, and 85, but over 80 inches, I think if I was going to buy another TV, I'd, I'd probably go with a larger one, um, just because it 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 really gets to when you get to 80 inches. Over eighty inches, you really in a great sound experience. You don't need to go to the theater <laughs> unless you're going to go to IMAX or Dolby Cinema. There's no regular theater that competes with, in my opinion, sitting at a, at, at your at your uh, couch and watching an eighty-five inch um, HDR with you know seven one four five one four. It's pretty or or a sound bar. Um, you're pretty much not going to get the same experience at a theater.
0: Is there still a ridge? This is just a personal question of mine. In terms of it used to be, if you were up to 48 inches and then up to 63 inches or whatever, the prices were pretty competitive. You got above a certain tier and they yeah. jumped up over by a substantial
2: factor. It appears to be over 85 now is, is where that ridge just goes. It just goes astronomical. Like once you get to, yeah. when you go to 90, 100, 110, those are all like real, those are in the 15, 20,000 or at least 10,000 10, range. They just go, okay, well, that's a different fab (laughs) and so so it gets it gets really large but it seems to be about you know that we we see 85 inch now for a couple thousand dollars you know not the highest quality ones but but um but they've they've definitely dropped in 70 75 inch screens are at a thousand dollars i think especially in in uh this is a good time to buy it of course because we're going into black friday so well timed
0: now and right around the super bowl always big times for
1: television sales let's move on to the next question chris Weider from lafayette indiana Asks, when having a microwave in a recording environment, how have you shielded to prevent interference when your next record wants a recorder, wants a burrito? Hmm, Mitchell Hill. <laughs> Microwaves do not belong in a recording environment. Uh, they're probably a convenient Taco Bell somewhere outside the building. Oh, uh, no, boy. Yeah. I, uh, Alex.
2: I mean you can have a kitchen separated somewhere with a microwave. that that's fine, but I wouldn't but I wouldn't but I wouldn't put them in the same in a recording studio. I wouldn't put them inside that. They're generating a lot of energy and it causes a lot of idiosyncrasies and a lot of things. And you probably shouldn't stand near them when they're on in general, just in case you're wondering. It's about a two foot radius around them that you probably when I when I put something in a microwave I I after talking to someone who worked on microwaves, when I put something in a microwave I I step back, <laughs> you know, like, so, so he's like, he's like, you won't notice it. He goes, you well, we don't know what it does to the cells, you know, within about two feet of the microwave. So don't, you shouldn't sit in front of the window, like staring into it. It's probably not the best thing for you.
0: Also the new term inverter microwave, the power supplies have changed. And I'm finding there's a, there's another one of those little shelves. If you get into inverter microwaves, which I guess heat more evenly, ah, it's just too much, too much information floating
1: around in my brain from this purchase. Uh, go, let's go to the next question. From Stefan Fischer in Wurzburg, Germany, Alex was recently talking about six Zen-based rules on how to present or teach. I searched for it but couldn't find it. Would you be so kind as to tell them again?
2: Uh, Alex is turning to the oh, side to grab. I have something. the book. I have the book. Uh, Paul Paul Wallace put it out there, I think, in a question or in a somewhere in one of the chats um, recently. So it's 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 around. But I'll say it again. Maybe someone can put it in Discord so we don't, we don't read it. the. The reason I love this, I, I, I can't remember. I I used to study Eastern philosophy. I was from that was one of my majors before I dropped out. Because you know, if you study Eastern philosophy, um, eventually you realize it's all empty, and meaningless anyway, and then you just drop out of school. And so, not not many people graduate from Eastern philosophy. Uh, and if they do, they didn't really get it. So anyway, so the um uh so uh the um. Uh, but I, I don't, so I don't remember most, this is from uh, DT Suzuki Zen in the Japanese culture. And it talks a lot about samurai and, and the and the cultures around samurai. And one of the things it talks about is the diseases. And I, I have, you know, there's very few. <laughs> I've kept this book laying around for, um, uh, I've had this book in some way, shape or form for 30 years now. And this is the only thing that I remember from it. And I keep it, it literally, as you can see how quickly I got it. I think I ponder this every once in a while, just to keep it in my head. So, um, because it it really is a great idea around thinking about how you approach projects and how you present and how you build things um, and the things that will get you caught up. You know, so the idea, however worthy and desirable of itself, becomes a disease when the mind is obsessed with it. Um, the disease is is uh, the disease or obsessions the swordsman um, has to get rid of are number one. The desire for victory. So, and there's so many places that we are just trying to win. You know, we're not trying, we're not thinking about just how to get it done and, and the proper way to approach it and how to how to do it. So the desire to win, number two, the desire to resort to technical cunning. So trying to do something really well rather than looking at what really makes a difference, we're trying to resort to, you know, and we're really good at this at visual effects of so being flashy, you know, like like trying to do something that is makes sense in your head and like, oh, this will be a really cool way to do this. And that usually is what gets you <laughs> when you're doing a present. Number three, the desire to display all that one has learned. So you just learn some this is very common. Uh, someone learns something new in After Effects or in motion or whatever, and then they use it on everything um, because that you know because that's what the, that's the new thing that they're excited about. Number four, the desire to overawe the enemy. So the desire not to think about what is absolutely necessary and we see this all the time as well, but to throw the kitchen sink in there and make it look really, really cool for no reason. You know, like that we're not, that's not pushing that forward. Five, the desire to play a passive role. And so sometimes you get into a situation where you don't act because of whatever reason you're, you you just decide you're going to be passive about that. And then finally, um, lastly, the desire to get rid of whatever disease he's likely to be infected with. (laughs) So so, so, so it's kind of a circular, um, you know, circular thing. And that's, you know, constantly trying to fix these things. It's not about fixing them. It's about being aware of them. and then And then they fix themselves. And so, um, so anyway, that's the, uh, that's, those are the six. I may, I added a little commentary because I think some people ask like, why did you write, why do you like that thing? But I think about it all the time when I'm working on projects and I Oops. look for the ones that I'm do, I'm, I'm doing because you're doing them all the time.
0: I can definitely use a copy of something if someone wants to write it called Zen and the Art of
1: Digital First Events. It's way too much. <laughs> <complexion>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next question. Wayne Ma from Park City, Utah. Do you have a list of product recommendations
6: Uh, Well, let's start with Guy Cochran. Thought you'd never ask. Uh, Yeah. We we have this little store online. uh, And over the last uh, few years, we've put together a page that uh, just on office hours, we've recommended so many things like the cameras, headphones, lighting. And there's just things that have popped up through these questions, the Hiles, the DPAs, the countrymen's, the road. The uh, mixers, prompters, uh, capture devices, vMix, Memo Live, switchers, transmitters, webcams. I need to add the Insta360. So that'll be up in a couple hours here. Uh, Auto poles, um, Sandis, And then there, there's still some new stuff that uh, we'll show here in the second hour that uh, I need to add on here, some lighting stuff that's really cool that's uh, new and portable. Excellent. David Pasca. that's an amazing
5: resource. Um, A lot of folks use Um, kit.co. This is what I use to kind of throw up your favorite gear. And so I would suggest in addition to visiting the DVE store is to find people that you trust and see if they have a um, kit.co page available. Tom Ferguson.
4: Uh, You always, well, you never have enough battery, shall we say. So I would say right now, What I'd be putting on my list would be the 20,000 milliamp hour battery pack
0: for $41 here from Anchor. There you go. Uh, There'll be a lot of things. And I think we'll probably talk about some of these things on our second hour when uh, Jason takes on what are the cool things for this year for the holiday season. Next question.
1: Paul Valhus in Austin, Texas asked, Any recommendations on a 75 or 85 inch TV for a backdrop like we discussed yesterday? Alex,
2: the good news is it doesn't have to be very expensive <laughs> it's putting an image out and and you're turning it way down you're you're not making it now there's a couple of things that do make it make a difference is you probably want 4k otherwise it'll reduce the marae because the the um the pixels will be closer together um so if you do a 85 inch 1080p you will be challenged at certain zoom lengths with marae across the screen that you will not see or not see as much if you do an 85 inch um, there is a lot of there are now eighty five inch, you know, from Hisense and and others that are as little as twelve hundred dollars for eighty five inch. So um, the prices have dropped a lot. Um, uh, you know, I think Hisense, I, I I might lean Samsung makes one for about thirteen hundred bucks. Um, so so you can you can find things that are tw- you know circa twenty twenty one that are any for anywhere from thirteen hundred like like an eighty the Samsung eighty five inch uh, UHD TU seven thousand series is 1297 it's 85 inches um and so so i think that you'll find that those are are um are pretty good if for some reason you think you're gonna do high frame rate then make sure that they're doing 120 hertz uh, but uh, most of them will and um so anyway those are the things that i would look at but you don't have to get a high quality one it's not going to make any difference
1: uh moving on next question from andy kokendorfer in Vieira, florida Andy asks, can you recommend an affordable quality shotgun mic? Client does not have the budget for a Bill Davis 416.
5: I'm David Paskin. I'll start us off here. Yeah, the Video Mic NTG from Rode is, is a really nice little shotgun mic. You get this little guy, pop it right on there. One of the things I love most about it is that it has a physical volume di- or gain dial, I guess, uh, on, the, on the tushy of it, which is really, really convenient. And Mitchell.
1: If you don't have Bill Davis uh, money, uh, Soneiser does make an entry level uh, shotgun. It works great. The MKE six hundred is about the third the price of the four sixteen. Sounds pretty good.
2: And Alex, yeah, we've used a lot of the NTGs. So the rode NTGs have been kind of our like we're going to send it out with a kit. Um, they have a they have a considerably more self noise than the four sixteen, but that usually can be filtered out. Um, So they just have a little bit of process, you know, a little bit of hiss that comes with them that you don't hear when you use a 416. But usually we've used them for a lot of shows. (laughs) So they've they've, they've been fine.
0: I will just note that my 416 came to me about 10 years after my Neumann because I kept looking for one on the used market that I was pretty trusty in. And I got it finally, but I had to wait a long time. So sometimes patience is a virtue if you're looking for a particular piece of kit that is not normally in your budget range. Uh, Next question.
1: From David Brady, New York, New York. Has anyone on the panel used an sr One International's test measurement utilities? Any idea on price and usefulness? Alex, uh,
2: yes. Uh, so we've we've used them. We've had the opportunity to use them in a, in, a, in a variety of things, and I'm trying to actually get them for us as we get closer to the HDR stuff. I've been putting together. I think that there are a couple different prices. You can get into a yearly. You can get into a buyout or you can get into a yearly, and I keep on meaning to bring the SRI folks on to, to the show to really talk through these, these charts, they're amazing. So these are video files that play out and what they do is they they interrogate your entire video pipeline visually. So what happens is, is you have a source file that you know that this is 10 bit HDR, whatever it is. And when it goes through the system, if it if anything changes somewhere from one side to the other, you will see it on the other side. You'll see that it got converted to eight bit at some point. You'll see that it's no, no longer HD. You'll see that and it and you and the different files there, and and they're really mostly video files. Now, the one that I want to get is actually the, and I believe it's um I believe it's seventy five hundred dollars a year or something in that ballpark um to to have these. And you get your name on them. So this so anybody can use them. They're just video files. But the what I like is the they may build a piece of hardware. You can play out the files. What's nice about the hardware is that it's a known re, it's a known source, so that it you know that when it goes out of that SDI, it's doing what it needs to do, and there's no other part of software or other things that are that could possibly be corrupting it on the way out. Um, and so, uh, I think that it's a it's a really really useful tool. And as we get closer, we'll definitely end up having one. It's just a matter of getting the money together to to have it here um, here, so that we can as we move into HDR, especially we can a lot of times it's just really hard to have a source that tells you like, is this working? Am I looking at HDR? Am I looking at, you know, does it think it's that way or was it, did we lose something in the process? Um, Really, really powerful tools. It's probably the, the one place that I'll stop. I mean, and again, I've, I've worked with, they have a lot of different files and I've worked with different ones for different clients. Um, the one place that I'll stop at at IBC or NAB is the SRI booth just to look at all the different patterns they've come up with, because a lot of them I haven't seen before. And it's like it is like a, I'm like a kid in a candy store with test with test files. Um, and uh, it's a really, really great product. If you have the, the resources to get it, um, I would highly recommend it. Mitch Hill,
1: uh, Not to be confused with the Sarnoff SR1 because they're darn close in uh, spelling. Oh, there you go. Uh, next question. Next question coming in from Douglas Carmichael. Many government agencies use Twitter as a tool for communication with the public in emergency situations. With the decimation of the company staff under Musk, do you think we'll see the return of the fail whale? Mitch, thoughts? I'm not sure what that is, but I do know there is an EBS system that's nationwide. And uh, people get uh, texts from their uh, iPhones and Android phones from the government.
2: Alex? Yeah, and I, I think that Twitter would probably do well. with cutting off a lot of their services because no one cares about 80% about what Twitter does other than the feed. <laughs> like like I would, if, if Twitter went back to where they were 10 years ago and they didn't have a have a, a algorithm and they just showed me the feed of people that I was following and they turned off almost all the other features they put into it, I don't think they have much of a drop in people using Twitter. Uh, almost every the problem that Twitter's had is that almost everything they added in the last decade has been worthless. Like it just hasn't made any, it hasn't changed people's use use of the of the platform dramatically at any given point in time. And it's also why they're they're underwater financially um, is because they just don't they haven't added anything anyone cares about. And when they do add it, they add it so badly that it's just hard to use. You know, their video service is a good example.
0: Fair enough. We have one more to go before
1: the top of the hour here. Let's take it on. Chris Weidner, Lafayette, Indiana, asked, "Have you seen the?" And he has a link to. The Road Go 2 cage from DSLR Shooter.
5: Thoughts? And David Paskin is going to help us out here. So I love DSLR Shooter, and this cage is really adorable. It, um, is, it's called the Go Lock. You pop your um, your uh, wireless Go 2 transmitter in there. It has a, a lock for your lav mic. Um, and it provides a little extra protection, also. So the threaded lav lock, um, you still have access to all of the um, uh, the ports. Get a little bit of protection, and you can print your own. It's a three D printed uh, go lock using the free digital files, or you can purchase it for forty dollars. Looks really cool. Great little product. So we've reached the top of the hour,
0: and Jason's going to take over things for the second hour as we go through our process. Jason, what do you got for us today?
3: So um, many of us have spent days or weeks in the field or event space relying on a little more than our wits um, and the equipment on our backs. So it seems there's no shortage of tiny production solving, um, you know, nightmare little gadgets. But it's important to remember the maxim that, that more is not better. So how do we strike a balance between our desire to to impulse buy our way out of yesterday's production headache with the kind of inherent imperative to travel light and um, keep our creative minds in the moment where they actually belong, because um, that's how we're getting paid. I guess for the next hour, uh, Bill and I will be going back and forth with props and what have you to... Um, to just show what we think has made the cut over the years, and um, maybe a few things that might not have. So, uh, do you want do you want me to take over host, Bill? How are, how are you feel? How do um how do you want to do this?
0: I, I think we can just bounce back and forth. Right now, we have one uh, person who's popped in on the bottom, that's Alex Lindsay. Alex, what do you what do you think?
2: I don't have a lot of things to show because I just turned my studio inside out, you know, to move move everything around. And so I realized I was like, I saw what it was going on. I was like, Oh, I should have looked at this yesterday. Uh, I could have collected a bunch of things. But I'll tell you a couple of things that are in my bag, um, or that that I usually use. You know, I haven't traveled as much in the last couple of years, and so I, I don't have a bag that I used to have a bag that was pretty much, quote unquote, a go bag that it was basically just had all the things that I thought I would need. Um, and I didn't really have to do anything other than pick it up and go. Now, it was also 35 pounds. And, and so my back is much better now that I don't carry it around all the time because uh, it was really like what I carried around all the time. So here are a couple things that I had in there. I had, um, I use my, my go bag is a, um, is a Rush 24. Um, I, I have tried the smaller ones, I've tried the larger ones, but the one that I have that has everything I need in it tends to be a Rush 24. Um, on one of the side pockets, I have an international, um, uh, uh, it's a three input or a three, um, pro, um, it's an international uh, power strip that's got three uh, out- outlets on it. So it fits into that side pocket. You'd be surprised at how many friends you can make if you just put that in an airport because now the people can just point you the outlet. <laughs> so, so and it, it's international, it takes 240 uh, as well or 220 as well as as the 120 or 110. And then, um, so that's on one side um, on the, other side is usually my power supplies and so on and so forth. And then and then I have, um, the one thing that I carry is I carry lots of, um, uh, uh, lots of converters. So if I want to go from male to female, female to male, all those things with XLR, um, I also have lots of bayonet or or um, I have lots of things to kind of extend STI, you know, the, a couple of those. I have converters for three eighths to quarter, quarter 20, as well as mic to those and I have like, Eight different versions of those, and I use little makeup bags. You can get these little metal meshed makeup bags at Container Store, <laughs> and that's what I put them in because they slide really nicely past each other when they're in them. So they all have their own little bags, that, which are also in those in those pieces there. Um, I carry usually um, a bunch of SD cards <laughs> in one little pocket. There's these front pockets that they have in there. Carry a bunch of SD cards in, in one side um, of those. And then a I usually have a battery that's that's you know that's usually um you know gonna be able to power things up. Got a cable to charge just about everything that I can think of, and and usually you know, a handful of USB Cs and, and so on and so forth. And um, and then I have my my bag generally has a decimator in it. <laughs> so there's always a decimator somewhere, you know, hidden in the bottom. Um I keep a theta uh, in my bag. A theta is the 360 camera from Ricoh. Uh, I have pictures of me getting on airplanes and going places all over the world. And I gotta say that I did it, I I, I usually use it for site surveys, but I used to just take fun, have fun with it. So I knew how to use the camera and wow, do I have a great collection. And I would highly recommend having something like a Theta and just going like this every once in a while when you're doing some project, because when you go back to the end of that, you just have this, you know, years of doing that, you have some pretty great, um, you know, pretty great experiences that you can remember and see in a way that you didn't before. Um, anyway, those are some of the, probably the major, uh, the major things that I, um, that I have. I also, in my, in the lower bag, I will, uh, I, I usually have zip ties because I have, I, I use zip ties to um, to tie up my Pelican cases and I always forget them. We, we try to put them in the Pelican cases. So, that, you know, I, we use them, they're always colored because TSA uses clear. So if you see a, your Pelican case show up and it's got clear, zip ties on it, it means that TSA will not put zip ties on, but they will replace your zip ties. So if they take them off, they'll put new ones on. So we always use these bright colored ones. And then we know whether TSA opened that bag or that bag um, as they come through the system. The one thing I will say is, is uh, if you're in a place like Iraq, do not have zip ties in your backpack because they're, they're used for something different in Iraq than they are um, in the rest of the world. And and uh, people get really stressed in the airport in case you're wondering. I, I have first hand experience in that experiment.
3: Tom, what do you have for us? Well, I've got an
4: oldie but a goodie and uh, that would be the Sure AT or A15 TG tone generator. Uh, this particular one's 50 years old, but they still make them. Uh, provides a tone down your balanced microphone line and uh, allows you to ring out any problems.
3: That's absolutely an excellent addition. And I'm, I'm going to be focusing, at least to some degree, on the things that I, I've never seen anybody else carry, just because, uh, you know, we have covered this in the past. And I, I want to go a little bit farther away than, you know, the traditional this fixes that type stuff. Um, I found Starbond makes black medium thick cyanoacrylate, which is super glue. Um, if you take the desiccants that come in your vitamins, um you know those little packets and you velcro, you you actually super glue, super glue velcro onto them. They will not rattle about, they will not move, but they will still have the same drying effect in your backpack. This sounds simple, but I, I have found it to be tremendously valuable, especially um, you know, when you find yourself having to pull over that rain shell that um that all low pro backpacks have. And, um, and then seeing a whole bunch of fogged up stuff. Um, Let's see who is next. Uh, Bill, what do you got? So I decided that I wanted
0: to, to, to do a weird little thing. One of the things, one of the themes of the last 10 years for me has been my equipment gets smaller. So a lot of the bigger things I had, I have had to downsize. And one of the things that worked especially well for me was downsizing a tripod. I used to have mostly larger tripods because I had mostly larger cameras, but I ended up with uh, shooting a lot of my iPhones. So I actually went down to a little free Manfrotto thing, and there's a couple of things I wanted to show about it. First of all, it's very, very, very small, which means that it's fabulous for sticking on the side of a backpack or something like that if you're just doing a run and gun shoot. The other little pro tip I would throw in there is you will notice that on the leg I have gaffer's tape in both white and black. I used to have gray on another one of the legs and I can't tell you the number of times that I've been in a rush trying to get set up for something and I've just had a dangling cable or something and I needed a small piece of gaffer's tape. So you will always know my tripods whether they're the larger ones I use or the smaller ones by the fact that each leg has a wrap that is a problem solver for me. So that's just one of the tips of one little kind of process that I use to make my life easier in the
3: field. Heck, I love it. Let's just, keep I mean, I'm willing to go back and forth at least for the next few
6: minutes. Guy, what do you got? Well, I could just start ripping stuff out of my backpack because uh, I, I just came in from a flight last night. One of the things uh, that I came in on the other day, it's like this little light that uh, it's from SmallRig. It looks like a little little disc. It's got USB-C on the side. It's actually a light with a battery built in and it telescopes. Uh, That's big, cool. Telescopes yeah, and then it has a phone holder so you could clip it on. So this is what I used uh, when I was out on the road for my light. You can see that it, uh, it's got the ability to go from daylight to tungsten as well. Fifty nine bucks for that.
3: Uh, wow, that's the kind the of integration that I that I would expect. Like uh, seeing it in like a Tokyo airport, it's just too pretty. Oh, and gaffer's tape. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead.
6: Yeah, gaffer tape, um, SDI to HDMI, keto fat bomb, <laughs> USB C power supply, video mic NTG, Netgear AT and with the uh, Ethernet. Axis uh, HDMI transmitter receiver with batteries. Um, triad Orbit clamp. So, this is how you can clamp stuff. And then, this is a whole integrated system where you can hook these things onto different things. And right now, I've got a, I think my mic's got the three ACE. So, then I could hook this onto like a if you noticed uh, on the picture i put behind the scenes i hooked it onto a fan uh and used the fan uh, as my base Uh, let's see a little C to uh ethernet and usb this one's really cool it's a little me photo little phone holder that gives your phone quarter 20 but it can also articulate and put your phone on a on a stand so it is the stand but it also has quarter 20 on the bottom so that's by uh uh, it's called the Sidekick by Me Photo. What else is in here? Oh, yeah, the big battery anchor. This one's like a 2800 with USB C and USB. The Omni Charge, same thing, but with uh, AC. So that one's omnicharge.com. And then MixPre. Uh, MixPre. And what else? Oh. Small monitor with SDI. This is by uh, Port Keys. So it's got SDI with SDI out loop HDMI. And uh, this one does not loop HDMI out. So that's small rig. And then it's the NP style batteries. Don't forget your Sharpie with some tape. So I like this spike strip tape to label stuff. Another light by Elytra. And I think it's about it. (laughs) That's what's in my
3: bag. Well, that's a wrap on the second hour. Holy, (laughs) that was incredible. (laughs) Nicely done. And luckily, yes, you were just, just on a flight. Um, I, I will add that we, we have, uh, I think it's best for the producers to pay careful consideration to the questions that are already there and vote up the ones that matter because they're coming in quickly. Um, I, before I hand it back over to Tom for, for wrapping this question up, I will add this one in: Trauma shears are very handy, and because they are, um, you know, in every uh, first responder kit, um, and they're blunt, at least on one side, um, I've never seen them be mistaken as a weapon. And uh, that's a handy thing. What do you got, Tom? Well, Bill showing
4: us his tripod reminded me of one more thing that I do with my tripod and I don't have it handy, but uh, you've seen these reflectors on the side of the road. They're called retroflectors. They always bounce the light back to wherever the source is. Well, they make a tape for that. And I also put that on my tripod. So if it's sitting out somewhere at night and I walk away from the tripod, it's really easy to find.
3: That's a good, that's a good tip. That's a great one. Uh, Bill, you want to read the next question and set us off? Uh, yeah. I, I just also will say I'm going to double
0: down on <laughs> always having a Sharpie near me. Uh, it is probably the single thing that I make sure is in my left pocket. In my right pocket, and this kind of risks off what Guy was saying, I have a smaller version of the anchor battery. For me, the critical piece of my kit on site is my cell phone always. Even if I'm not shooting with it, there are so many apps and tools in there, uh, Sun Surveyor and a whole bunch of things that I literally use on every shoot that I want to make sure I have enough extra battery to get through a, a, one of those 13 or 14 hour shoots and keep it going. Uh, that said, let's dive into the next question. It comes from Cheetah in Dallas. What's the one piece of equipment you cannot leave the house without?
3: And Jason Bass is going to start us then, Guy. So um, for me, this is two. This is a two-slot answer. One is if I'm bringing my backpack, and the other is no, I will actually turn around as long as you know I'm not halfway there. Um, the I will turn around. I believe it or not, is my Apple Watch because I use it for so many things, and it prevents me from having to use my phone so many times in the field that it is absolutely worth it. As far as things that um, if I'm taking a backpack, it's going to have this. I still can't shake the uh, the habit of having a, a decent DSLR because I spend so much time in so many beautiful places in New Mexico that um, I've learned the hard way not to uh, not to leave it. Guy,
6: yeah. The one thing I didn't show is how I keep some of the basic cables organized. Is is this bag that folds up? So basically, uh, it just folds up. I don't know where I got this. Probably some Christmas gift or something. But it just folds up. But that keeps my basic, you know, USB C uh USB a then my lightning and uh, uh, a little power cubes and then a little Leatherman all inside of here. So that's, this is the one thing that I, I got to remember to take. Cause it it's, if you don't have those basics, uh, you're kind of hosed, especially
3: Very good, Paul, you have something to add real quick. Yeah, just real quick. Um, what uh, I, I never used to think of, but once I started carrying it, I couldn't stop is a door stop, just to uh, help not bang up doors
7: both in video and event production. So I wanted to add that in there.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll support that. I can't tell you the number of times I've tried to get a a, a cart full of gear through a doorway without some kind of doorstop. You're dis- damaging buildings and things like that. That's not a good thing.
3: Yeah, um, I learned that actually through the the Google 360 training. And it was one of those odd things where like they, they straight up would would fail you if you didn't have at least two door, uh, door doorstops, you know, back when they, they really cared about the, uh, the requirements of it, but boy, it stuck for me too. I absolutely agree. Um, so let's see, let's move on. Um, Bill, you want to grab the next one? Okay. Uh, Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas. What kind of bag or backpack do you have? In the interest of time, I mean, if you have one, please just raise your hand real quick. Um, I'm going to take 10 seconds and say um, this is intentionally a flashy backpack, but it is actually quite good in that, um, you know, it is completely contained. Uh, this is the Protactic BP450AW2, which is slightly smaller, but it has these tactical loops that I use a lot. Um, and I do I like having something that is highly modular. I use the loops for, you know, everything from like, you know, a carpenter's pencil to um, a whole bunch of Sharpies. And, you know, even the little the little clippy things that I think kind of look dumb when they're on a vest, but they're very handy on a backpack guy.
6: Yeah, this one is made by Manfrotto. It's got uh, room for your laptop, of course, side pockets. Um, Then inside it's, it's got room for like lenses. Uh, If you're a photographer, it's meant to divide. I don't know if you can see all that in there, but that's what it looks like inside. And then there's uh, room for more cables here. And then what I like is that it has that chest strap. So if you're, if it gets really heavy, which this one does, uh, you can chest strap it across. And then you have the side packets to easily grab stuff that you need. But that's uh, made by Manfrotto. Uh,
0: Bill. So I have the same kind of thing that Guy does. This is the one that I typically use for when I'm out shooting. It's from Case Logic, although other brands make the same thing. But the thing that really changed my life about this, before that, I was using, I think, uh, a backpack that had dark outside and dark inside. But Case Logic made their inside this bright orange. And I can't tell you how much easier it is when you're searching for a particular connector or a cable, particularly on a night shoot or a dim shoot, even if you're using some flashlight, to have the inside Interior of the backpack be lighter than the exterior. Uh, it just makes finding things so much easier and determining which cable end is this. If you're dark against dark, it's really hard to make those calls.
3: Yeah, I have. Um, it, there was a very excellent moment when Pelican started doing that with all of their interiors, at least for the for the higher end trims with Velcro, and oh boy, was it nice, Javier.
7: Uh, mine is uh, out of reach. I want to try to grab it. I can't do it. It's a um, Columbia backpack. I really like the Columbia wears, that's uh, the clothing and everything. Uh, so, this is a very weather resistant backpack. It has rained on me with a lot of gear inside, and it never happened. Not even a drop got inside. It has reflective material on the outside. It has padded the pouch for the laptop. And it also, you can slide it over like on a, a carry on. So, you can, when you're in an airport or something, you can put it on top. So, I'm very, I'm very happy with the Columbia backpacks.
3: Nice. Not to not to be outdone, uh, Mr. Lindsay. He disappeared, so it's got to be something good. <laughs>
2: I just had to go grab them because I use different ones for different things. Uh, this is a Jack Gore, a Jack uh, George's American brand. This is like what I wear if I'm in a meeting. Like this is my little bag because it's got lots of little pockets on the inside, and it doesn't look like a. Uh, like I'm going out for an expedition. Um, the one that I use kind of more for production is a hazard four. So this is kind of over one shoulder. Um, and Colby Henry actually gave this to me and uh, she was really into them. And I, I, th- I thought, Oh, I'm not going to like the one that goes over the shoulder, but I love this one. So I use it a lot as just kind of a um, day-to-day one. If I'm t- bringing some gear in and I'm not really going anywhere. And then I had mentioned before this, this is the hazard. This is not the hazard. This is the rush 24. And um got Velcro, which I keep my my old PixelCore badges. It also has, the, you know, you can get these things printed. These, these are your name. You <laughs> can get those printed for like $8. Um, and so, although we spend a lot of time thinking about and we these were our standard issue for PixelCore, so we sent everybody one. So we gave everybody a name. We also put the names on the handles because they'd all get stacked up next to each other and we didn't know whose was which. <laughs> so we'd print the names on there as well. Um, but what you can yeah. see on the inside of this, hopefully, is just tons and tons and tons of of, uh, lots of different, um, uh, different compartments that I can slide things into. So, um, it's de- definitely, I used it, you know, that, that, one, that bag itself has been on every continent except for Antarctica. <laughs> so, so, uh, so anyway, they're, they're pretty durable as well.
3: I love it. Um,
0: Bill, what, what's next? Uh, we're sneaking off to Miami beach where Jeff Cohen's asking what should be in a voiceovers travel bag. Ooh. Oh, do you want to take that one off, Bill? Sure. Um, So that's one thing about being a voiceover. Often you're doing work for clients and often clients at the most inopportune time will ping you and go, hey, I need a change. The rate has changed or the person who uh, is in charge of this has changed. So you find yourself having to work in a lot of places that you don't uh, aren't as perfect as maybe your voice booth or whatever. Um, So you find yourself having to do make as uh, do. I do Pull the four sixteen and travel with it because it's a known mic. I'm I understand how it works. That plus a little H uh, Zoom H4 as a recorder and a short XLR cable are all I really need in terms of being able to record my voice. Uh, but there are other things that I have found that are useful when you're doing that. Now we talk about making pillow forts and things like that. You have to kind of understand how to get yourself in a position where it's not too uh, noisy. One technique I've used a lot is if I have overnight. I don't have to have it done immediately. I will literally go out to my car in the parking lot on a quiet night if I'm not near a big, heavy road and just record in the car because it makes a good little isolation booth. Uh, So Some form of recorder, some form of microphone, doesn't have to be the 416. It can be anything that you can get into a quiet place and will record your voice accurately. Uh, Those are the basics. After that, it's really what's inside your head in terms of understanding how sound works and knowing that, you know, this hotel room bathroom is just too hard surfaced and noisy, and I can't get a good voice over there. And I may find myself under a blanket in the corner of the room just to try to deaden things. But that's all I really have. I, I used to carry a little uh, inline phantom power and uh, XLR to USB thing. I don't really carry that anymore. I think they still work, but uh, that Zoom H4 works for me better.
3: Yeah, I love Zoom's line. Um, It's certainly not the same as a mix pre, but oh boy, is it a 10th the cost. Um, And I would say, I don't know, what what do you think? 80% of the quality, something along those lines. Um, And unless you're using a really, really big um, mic, which you shouldn't be doing in the field unless you can't help it, um, I I think that's the right way to go. One more tip on on a car. Um, If you have a dash, um, whatever, protector across the top, put your sun visor in and that will eliminate the reflection from your windshield. That, that actually has saved my bacon in the past. Um, What is next? Uh, Cherejita in Dallas says when flying,
0: what would you carry with you versus rent at your destination?
3: Ooh, I love it. Alex.
2: Yeah. So it it depends. (laughs) So it depends on where you're going uh, and, and what, and who you have, Like so, different cities. So if you're going to a place where you don't think you're going to be able to get a hold of rental equipment uh, or rental equipment may not be, um, uh, there might not be a plethora of of places to go, then you may want to bring your own stuff. Um, It also depends on who your partners are. So for instance, in in Europe, we have some pretty good partners, especially in Germany. I don't really think about bringing all of my things, Um, but usually what I rent are the harder things that require less setup so lights um oftentimes cameras and lenses um those are the kind of the edge peripherals are things that i tend to try to rent or i'll go after renting those first the core i tend not to rent um i tend to because we build those out in our studio and make sure that they're all working before we leave um i don't you know it's too it's too stressful to show up most of the events you don't get enough time to like Fix something that if a piece of component is doesn't isn't what you asked for, isn't exactly working. There's a bad connector. You're now in a real tight spot. So I tend to like to um, get the bring those things with me, and uh, we you know use a variety of shipping companies like uh, like Rocket um, to get things around the world, uh, or we just check it. Um, I think our record is 42 bags <laughs> to, to check to to, to Japan. Um, you know, we and uh, if you 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 want to know about what's called a media pass. You can do some research, we can talk about it another time. Um but you can save some money on that as well. It's actually cheaper than shipping it, but uh it is you got to get the right carts and everything else to make that work.
3: Yeah, and be prepared to leave cash tips because the skycap guys um they will remember you no doubt. Guys. Yeah,
2: by the way, it's it's a you think think about $2 a bag look <laughs> like, you know two dollars a bag is, keeps everybody happy so that's that's how you that's when you think about the tips that's and, and then they won't they won't complain when you show
3: up i i typically it's it's two dollars a bag at least three for a pelican
6: guy <laughs> yeah, it just depends on where you're going to and uh how reliable everybody is like when we went to africa the things that we rented were the big lights so the big airy lights uh tripods those were the things that i didn't want to carry but for the most part having Traveled around the world. It's just you want stuff that's uh, reliable, that's working, that you know in and out. Uh, when I was at Zoomtopia, I kind of chuckled because one of the Bird Dog four K cameras, it has a quarter twenty on the bottom, but they're using a cartoni uh, tripod, high end tripod, which they obviously rented, and uh, it was three A. So they had a little bushing that was, you know, a little tiny thing. And that weight of that entire camera was resting on that little bushing and there was a spacer. So every time that the camera moved, it was now jiggling. So little things like being able to test and know what connects, because that's the biggest thing when you rent is, will this connect? Is it a male or a female? Or do you need some kind of uh, adapter? And if you don't have those things and you're in the middle of nowhere, you're going to be hosed. So I like to bring almost everything that I possibly can as well as a backup and a backup of the backup. So that's the way to think about it.
3: Yeah, you've got to have supply lines feeding supply lines like a like a good army. Um, you know, what's in your trunk would be an excellent second hour too, Bill. So, a uh, couple of things here. Number 1, um I, I try to
0: have that backpack that I just showed you set up so that if all my luggage got lost, I could at least show up on somewhere and shoot audio and video. That means that I've got two iPhones with me. Usually I've got the monopod that has a, uh, a camera on the top and I can Bluetooth it to a monitor in the bottom for high and low shots. But that's just my, Oh my gosh, everything else is gone system. I have a, the little Sennheiser AVX wireless mic, enough units in the bag so that I can get audio from a, either a handheld mic or a lav on somebody. And I want to know that if everything else is gone, I can work with that. Uh, as to the Carters through airport, I have to tell you, I, I try to keep twenties in my left front pocket and tens in my right pocket. And I want to know how hard is somebody working for me. I had a circumstance where I flew into Chicago and I got off with, I think seven bags and I walked, I looked through the front window and the place was just a madhouse. I mean, there were so many people there and I caught the eyes of a sky cap and he looked hungry and he came over and I said, I got this problem. I'm an hour early here, but I can see it's a disaster in there. He said, don't, don't worry, I gotcha. And he brought out the big thing and he ran me past all the lines essentially right to the gate that I needed to get to because he knew everybody in the airport. And I think I reached into that 20 pocket and I gave him a a huge tip because he had made the difference between massive stress and comfort for me. And I want to reward the people in the industry who do that. So I always made sure, never a rule it's like, this young man or young woman who's really working hard really helped me. I think that needs to be acknowledged.
3: Yeah, that that happened only once to me when I was 19. I'm always very early for flights and um, I will never forget a similar level of service. Uh, Tom, what do you got?
4: Well, you started talking about the $2 a bag and it reminded me of a friend of mine who said that he always goes to the bank and gets a stack of $2 bills before he leaves. And he gives them out for tips because everybody remembers the guy with the $2 bills and they'll take good care of you. That's great.
3: Steve Wozniak at one point, I think his business card was a $2 bill. That's just one of those odd little things that is just perfectly Wozniak. Might be urban legend. I don't know. But um, let's see. What's next, Bill? Andy Kokendorf of Florida, says,
0: what's in your travel bag currently for Zoom? Mic, camera, light, and peripherals?
7: Javier. Uh, since the latest version of iOS I've been using the continuity camera, it's been like very simple to use and it has a great uh, picture quality and it works great in low light, that's where a lot of webcams really don't do it well. Uh, right now I'm using a Magic Arm but I'm trying to get something like the one the Belkin I think it is that they, they, they put up so it's not that uh, you just put it on top of your of your laptop. Uh, For audio, I use a software called crisp.ai, I think it's uh, crisp with a K. Uh, With that turned on, you can basically anywhere use the internal mic of the MacBook. It takes care of most of the fan noise. I mean, it's not a professional quality, you can record something, but for meetings, it's it's perfect. Uh, and what Paul said about the door stops reminded me that I also carry two doorstops, not only for what he said, but also to lift the laptop, because uh, especially my MacBook tends to get uh, hot and lifting it just like an inch helps a lot with the airflow and that keeps your video and everything smoother because the, the processor is not working so hard to keep the, the, the heat off. Love it. Guy?
6: Yeah, I was just going to show that same thing that Javier was talking about. Continuity camera. This is with that uh, fifty-nine dollar light from Small Rig. So now I've got it with the uh, um, the accessory to. So this allows you to bring the phone up, and then here you can actually position uh, and turn the uh, phone wherever you want it to go. So you could turn it. See how it angles like that. It articulates. So that's uh, continuity camera with the uh, Small Rig little light. And then for audio, sorry, but I'm talking a little bit out of the mic. But here is the, uh, the little setup that I've been using. So the interesting thing about the video mic NTG is it's USB C, but then you get a headphone out. So in zoom, you actually you can have your in ears in and you can uh, adjust the volume level here on the back is the volume level. And then you'll see that I've got it on this uh, clamp, which is very this is the IO flex from triad orbit, you can see that this will really it's not a cheap piece, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very stable piece. And then on the other end, you can get uh, different clamps. This is their smaller one. I have some, some bigger ones that are in use right now that I can't grab, but this is a small one that should allow you to clamp onto most desks or things like that. So that's really handy in a hotel room or uh, wherever you're at to be able to just get your mic where you want it and position it properly. So those are uh, two items there that I take on the road for Zoom. Alex? Yeah, and I have. Uh,
2: let's see if I can. This is not the most recent version of what I do when I'm on on uh, on road, but it gives you kind of an idea. Of uh, <laughs> I, I did get better about putting something up. Um, I have a, a now a riser, and I just I don't think I have it near me. That I I replaced my my luggage with. You can see my luggage there because it brought up my laptop a little bit. Um, I've replaced that uh, Brio with um, with one of these. So this is my my new camera. This little link. Um, it just looks a lot nicer. It lets me adjust things a lot faster. Um, I still use the lights, so those are the Nanlite Six Cs. Um, I use a mix pre with Noise Assist, and a, and what mic I use keeps changing. Um, but uh, but those are kind of the basic things. And it, at first, it was a lot of trouble. Uh, it takes me about fifteen minutes to get set up now, so it's not it's not it's a relatively painless way to to jump into things.
3: And over the years, we've seen many iterations of that. Yeah, I love yeah, to see exactly. the most recent one, Bill. So the other thing that I take with me now on travel, I
0: work every day here with my laptop on a riser from a company called Rain Designs. It just brings it up about four inches, which is perfect for my uh, reaching height. And it angles the laptop base up a little bit. So uh, that's one of the reasons I don't have problems with the touch bar, because it's a different geometry to get to it. But on the road, I found this little thing, which is a, uh, a riser that you can bring on the road it collapses down to be incredibly small and um so i could toss this in my backpack and recreate the exact geometry of my normal day-to-day experience which means all my muscle memory works for everything that i reach for and all the things so that's been really useful for me it's just a little thing i found next question tommy shanson st paul minnesota says what's the next piece of gear you need or want to replace
3: for your kit that you wish you had all right, I'll start this one off. And it's it's more of a wishful thinking because it's not in any immediate uh, hurry, largely because I haven't found one that I really love. Um, my Canon 6D Mark II is not a great DSLR, but it's small and it has GPS in the nose. And that makes such a difference. Um, plus, I already have the glass, the strobes. But um, I'm definitely due for a, for a new camera body. One of these days, they're, they're going to realize that the GPS is, if, if you're going to have any metadata, that should be it. Alex?
2: Yeah, I'm looking for something that doesn't exist. <laughs> and so that is, for the 6C, what, what I really want is something that will attach to the top and bottom with a pass through a quarter 20 that fans out to create a larger source. The sources, these sources are, pretty bright and what I want is to increase their size not something flat but something that literally comes out and like like a fan just closes so so I can pack it but then rolls back out again that I can just attach to the top and bottom Um, it would it would change the quality of these lights um, by 10x if I could make them make the sources that they're connected to uh, bigger and so that's I, I it's one of those things like oh if I have time I'll model something but I haven't gotten to it yet.
6: Guy? Yeah. The one thing that I'm lusting after is that new, uh, RV mode of the, uh, <laughs> Starlink. So it's the flat high performance that, uh, it doesn't have to move around. It, this guy's holding one up in this video and it, it it's smaller than I thought it would. Uh, it won't fit in my backpack, but yeah, that's the one thing that I was wishing that I had uh, was uh, just reliable internet out on the road. And so 2500 bucks for that thing. It's a 130 bucks a month. So it's a, it's a stretch, but one, one can dream, right?
3: Absolutely, uh, Bill, bring us home.
0: Well, I just it's a little thing. It's not out there yet, I don't think, because they haven't. But the batteries and this is an anchor one, the one I always keep with me when I'm traveling because I can put it in my pocket. I, the, the big ones are better. And in fact, I have one of the big ones that has enough wattage. I think it's a 100 watt battery that it has USB-C and you could run your laptop for a while off that. But I just don't like that big form factor. I'm always putting it in something and it's not with me when I suddenly notice that my phone or some other device is getting that. So I hope they continue the energy density uh, wars and we can get something that's this size that has USB-C in it that will have enough wattage to run a laptop or something like that for a longer time. That would make me a lot more comfortable. Wouldn't agree more. Next question. Next one comes to us from Chris Weidner in Lafayette, Indiana. I've carried a Leatherman original wave multi-tool for over a decade with the double bit sets and the
2: extender. What is your go-to multi-tool? Alex? I've owned a lot of Leathermans. Um, I I, I found that I could get away with the skeletal um, uh, as much as the wave or the um, surge. So the surge is... Surge was like a little too much The scale. The, the, the wave is classic. Um, and the that I've had <laughs> since almost since I felt like since they made it, but I don't know. But my mind got so loose that it was hard to hard to stay open. Um, but the skeletal um, ha- has been the one that, that I carried around most recently. Also, the micro Leatherman is another one that I like a lot. And finally, when I'm really in production, I don't have it on right now. When I'm really in production, I actually use the tread, the Leatherman tread. Um, which is a little pricey, but it is—it's awesome. Like you actually take it off and use it all the time. It's, it's a, a bracelet. nerd
3: tennis bracelet.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I gotta tell you, you get more comments on it than anywhere else. And again, another place—not—not not another thing—not to wear in in Iraq. <laughs> it creates a lot of conversation at the airport. So the um, but the uh, but the it is um super useful. It is TSA approved, even though it doesn't look like it, and um, and it's got little screwdrivers. So you've got some little Phillips and some little flatheads, and you've got even a even a, a little um, place to pop your SIM out that's hidden underneath it. Um, you've got thing, you can do a bottle opener, you've got lots of little things that are all built into it. And I found that having it attached to my wrist kept, made sure that I could, I solved so many little problems with that, with the tread and it seems overpriced and over like almost too much, but it, it I used it every day when I was doing, when I was traveling around the world doing production.
3: Uh, I have, I've gone between Leathermans and um, and Gerber and the moment what's on my belt is a Gerber um, for a handful of reasons, not the least of which is I finally found a, a piece of sheet metal with a real belt clip and um, and it has hex tools on the side. So you can actually just take the, the belt tool off and, um, and use it to tighten up a bolt. Um, what I like about this one is that it's single action. So I can deploy the pliers with one hand and I don't have to look and I can do it ambidextrously. That is a wonderful addition,
0: Bill. I've downsized a little. I used to have a full size and I actually, I moved to this guy, which is the super tool 300. Um, It's under hundred bucks and it has all the stuff that I normally use. The wire clippers on there are particularly good and it's got more needle nose than flat pliers. And I find that really useful when I'm trying to find work with small things, but that's I've, I've migrated to that and it's been really good for me next question uh next one stefan Fischer, Würzburg, germany alex decimator has a wide range of products which one do
2: you carry and why alex yeah the one that i use is the hd or uh, the mdhx um, if i need something more than that if i need 4k i need something else i um i i have other tools for that but the one that i keep in my bag is a 1080p it's an it's an it's the mdhx i don't use the cross because the cross is really easy so uh, there's folks in my company that know how to use the web interface. I only know how to use the front little buttons and <laughs> I can get to anything really, really fast on the front buttons of a decimator. So I don't know even how to plug it into a into a laptop and and run it. So because of that, the cross has a way to you can get yourself into a, a state that's really hard to get out of. And so, um, so I prefer the MDHX. It's got less things. Um, for the same price, I think or very close to the same price. Um, but I but I like it better. It's just easier if I'm just using it as glue, which is what I do use it for.
3: Paul? Yeah, just a quick thing about the MDHX that I, I never realized and most people I've talked to have never realized is that it can take 5 volts to 12 volts in. So you can actually run it from a USB power bank if you make the cable yourself. You Whoa. can't use the USB input, but you can use the plug um which makes it really handy for testing i would obviously never use that in production but just as a quick hey is there signal
7: here or hey i need to send a blue screen or yellow screen whatever um it's a makes that t- makes the MDHX so much more powerful
2: that's i'm today's years old <laughs> no that's a great that's a great tip
3: you just Thanks. got the uh, great british uh, baking equivalent of a handshake from mr yeah. lindsay
2: yeah, that's good that's uh, a great paul tom that's real
3: cool. quick what do you got well, I bought my
4: MDHX and just felt like it was a rite of passage here at office hours.
0: Next question. <laughs> Next one comes to some Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. Batteries. Mine have changed significantly and expensively thanks to this group. Now we're running a small rig V-mount battery, BV99. What about you?
2: Oh, Alex, take it. Yeah, um, you know a lot of the stuff that we that I run with sound devices uses the Sony. I think the nine seventies are what I what I use for those. You have to remember that the sound devices, the larger sound devices, don't charge the batteries, so you still need a charger for them, which drives me a little crazy. Um, but but I've been using a lot of those in the past. Um, I I do have some V mounts, um, and the reason that I have a bunch of V mounts is because they would ship faster when I needed them the next day. Um, I don't think that's the best way for you to choose uh, large batteries. Um, almost everybody likes the Anton Bauer mounts better than the V-mount. The V-mounts have a tendency to want to, they are more likely to come off uh, when under stress than the the Anton Bauer um, uh, connections. And so most people in production will want the Anton Bauer. Again, I have a bunch of V-mounts because I had a production, I needed them quickly and the Anton Bauer ones would take two days and the V-mounts would take one day. And so that's why I have them laying around, Um, but they're good. You want to make sure you get D-taps for them. Um, so that you can, then, then that D tap is going to be able to, you know, think about all the things you may want to connect that to. Cause it can, you can power a lot of things from those larger batteries, um, beyond a, a specific camera.
3: Yeah. I, the only reason that I don't have all Anton Bowers that, and I don't like paying for them. So, you know, there's that, um, I believe guy at one point had a package and I, Bought a couple 6K cameras that I, I think you were looping something in. What were they, a green power? Um, but yeah, those were DTAP tap Cor- and-
6: Yeah, Chorus WX batteries that have the USB on and DTAP as well. So yeah, Chorus Cor- WX is the ones that we uh, include in the kits.
3: Yeah, those are handy. Next question.
0: Next one comes up from Jack Cannon in Phoenix, Arizona. Going on a work trip soon. Spring for a new suitcase with the wheels or stick with soft-sided backpacks. I'll be on planes, trains, and automobiles you're John candy
2: yeah I' bought a lot of bags um the I, I do like I, I used to only like two wheels because they were the like the the because they they, they felt more like I have skateboard wheels is what I really like to go over things but it depends on where you're going so if you if you are going to go over a lot of rugged areas which I know Um, You know, Jack may do, (laughs) but uh, if you're going to rugged areas, I like two skateboard wheels over the smaller turnable wheels um, that have four on the bottom. But because I don't do that as much anymore, um, I I, I stick with uh, the four on the bottom. I have a tendency to use either the away bags Um, I don't actually care about the battery in the away bag. In fact, it became problematic because I got the very first version of it and I had to unscrew it. And I finally just took it out and just there's a hole there now. Um, But they're very, very light. And the other ones that I use a lot are Tumi's, um, you know, because they're, again, they are light. The thing that I look for is the size. So it's a nine by 14 by 22 in the United States, nine by 14 by 20 in in Europe. And um, so I think about that because those are the sizes that'll fit into almost every overhead that you, that you run into. And I like to use hard, hard cases because it means I can't pack it more than I can fit it into the overhead. (laughs) Like there's no chance. Like if it, if it fit, if if the bag closed on, on my, I use an away bag. If the, if my away bag closes, it's going to fit. Um, I used to use Pelican cases as general purpose. I don't because Lufthansa will weigh your, um, your bag, weigh a pelican case every single time they see it, like it, like every at every stop. If you see, if they see a pelican case, they assume it's it's heavier than than it needs to be, and they'll they'll try to weigh it. And it is heavier than the away bag or the to bags because they're they're built much lighter. So those are the things that I think about for carry ons. Um, I don't really uh, I check gear, <laughs> like you know, like I don't I don't check my personal stuff. I can I can live on a carry on for months. So
0: next question. Next one comes to us uh, from Douglas Carmichael. If you were carrying a work box instead of a bag, what would you carry that you couldn't put in the bag?
3: Um, Go ahead, Alex, real quick.
2: Yeah, the Walt makes a really good, I think it's the Walt makes a really good one. That's like a, we, we put printers and all the, you know, it's got all these little shelves. And when you close it, it actually locks and we throw them in trucks. We've even checked them, (laughs) you know, it'll, it'll lock up. And stay stay in its state, and it's actually the only thing you have to do is teach someone how to take it apart because getting it to open again is is a thing. But it has all little shelves, and we keep everything from lodges to printers to paper to to uh, snacks in it.
3: Yep. Um, I, it's, uh, I'm trying to remember the name. They actually revised it and made it slightly bigger. I have the original, the stackable one with, you know, with its own little carriage thing. And uh, it really annoyed me that all the new stuff, they're like, yeah, we think it should be slightly bigger. I'm guessing they wanted to make a larger 20 volt tool. And there you go, Bill. This is weird. But uh, I try not to take my gear out
0: of my Pelican cases whenever I'm on location, if I can't. So rather than uh, carrying a heavier work box, I've had this weird thing for a while where I actually, and this is usually clients that I know, I wouldn't do this the first time I'm with them, but if they know and trust me and understand, they don't care what I'm bringing on set as long as it works. I have been known to take one of these out with me. Uh, It is a collapsible camping kitchen. And the thing that I like about it is that it'll hold, and I've got one that has actually that that side uh, extension on two sides, I can put three heavy Pelican cases on this thing, open them up and work out of them for a whole shoot and then close them up. The Pelican cases never get that nothing gets taken out of them, and so it's just there when I need it, and uh, it keeps it off the floor, particularly if I'm going into an unfinished space. I occasionally, with corporate clients, we've had something that's been so complex, like a lot of people at a, around a table, or maybe a photo shoot, and we're in an unfinished space in their corporation, and there are no tables, nothing I can drag over. That little thing has saved my tail a lot of times, because I can put three full-size Pelican cases on it and work out of them. And then just claps the whole thing up and it just goes away real easy. Next question. Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana. I'm thinking about buying a Canon PowerShop Pick active tracking cameras for it's for behind-the-scenes shots as a set and forget. Thoughts? Go ahead,
2: Alex. I didn't even know that this thing existed. So it it, it looks like a pretty cool um setup. I, I think that. Uh, I'm not clear that it'll be competitive uh, with these these little guys here. If, if it's a USB-C camera, um, these are gonna be smaller, I think. This is the uh, Insta360 Link. Um, the chip size, I think, is slightly larger on these or or the same um, for less money. So you could buy two of these for almost, almost two of these for one of those because um, that's 4 dollars and this is $299. Um, and I'm gonna guess, given that I've used the software that comes with this Link, and I've used a lot of Canon software, that the software on this will be better than Canon. <laughs> so Canon, uh, th- they should take their entire interface, they should revamp their... Uh, um, what I like to you know think of now is they should musk up their, <laughs> their 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 interface design and and uh shift things around a little bit
3: yes and add a meaningless blue check to two things uh, yeah, exactly. you know just yeah. on the side yeah. of the thing yeah. um does that uh camera do a, a record like can you actually record directly on that record? set it and forget it dial
2: oh does this, one, does, this one actually records oh simultaneous recording oh well then never mind the canon looks great i i again i would love to test that one guy have you had these in the in in the have you seen these I uh, have not seen those. Oh, yeah, it's I've never I didn't realize it recorded as well. So, um, well, OK, so, Chris, if you get this, we just want to know how it how it, it yes, looks Yes, really please. Cool.
0: Yeah. Next question. Next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael, and he says, would you ever carry a portable fla- fan or other cooling device when working in warmer
3: and or more humid climates? Um, well, personally, I, I would say no, unless it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, humidity of course is it's a bigger deal, um, than heat when it comes to, to equipment in general, I'm skinny enough that it just doesn't affect me, Alex.
2: Yeah, I have, I have a great, a great thing that I carry along. It's called a rider. And a writer that says that the room that I work in can't be more than 50% humidity and 75 degrees. Like it's it's the best fan ever. You, you can you can use the paper to go up and down, but mostly you can hold everybody accountable. But literally, I won't put my gear and or my crew into a, into a location that's more than 75 degrees, unless they were outside and paid a lot of money to do it. Um, but my crews uh, won't work at over 75 degrees because they can't think. I can't think over 75
6: degrees. <laughs> <Still>? <laughs>
0: Uh, It depends for me on what what I'm doing. I've had shoots, and I worked most of my career in Phoenix, and heat is just an issue that you have to deal with. I never really used fans. Um, I well, one case when we had to do a ton of spa outdoor work when we were outdoors in Arizona in August. That was yeah. We had I had fans that I dragged out. The problem on location is getting AC power for them, unless you're running Jennies, and you don't want to really put another load like a fan on it. Umbrellas for me, I had a lot of black golf umbrellas and a lot of things for attaching them and every camera got a golf umbrella, every person's chair on location got a golf umbrella, you just want people to be able to get out of direct sunlight, and so that was a must and we carried a lot of that stuff out on the location for the shoots where we had to be in the heat. and, and just another tip for those of you who might be going into hot zones, the worst thing you can do is say, I'm going to cool down, I'm going to go into the air conditioning for a half hour, then come back out. At the end of the day, you will be destroyed. Your body trying to regulate between air conditioning and and the and outdoor environment just takes a horrible toll on the
3: human body. Stick it out, get your production done, and then go back inside. Absolutely. And if you're outdoors, um, actually, in right outside of Roswell, I've done some drone shoots where um, there's this thing from Australia that basically is a bandana that is full of, I don't even know what they are. Um, it kind of feels like the little balls in tapioca. But if you wet them, um, it it is an amazing thing. You roll it around your neck, you can wear it under a collar. Um, and it works incredibly well. Um, I have been out, no joke, 12 hour days. 110 degree heat and, um, you know, you, you you and the operator end up drinking a, an entire case of water and you don't, there are no bio breaks at all because um, it just evaporates right out of you. But yeah, absolutely an, an incredible alternative to a fan. Alex,
2: wrap us up. Uh, Cam, uh, in Cambodia, we have the same thing. And I, I, I was looking around trying to find it. I, it's probably right on the other side of this little uh, flexible wall that I have here. Uh, but we have the same thing where we you basically pull it around your neck, you get it wet, you you put it in there, and it, it definitely works. And I've worked in Cambodia. That's the one place that I've, over my little rider, I've worked in 110 degree plus, And for some reason, that little thing over your neck makes a big difference.
0: Next question. Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana. I hate using plastic silverware. I started carrying a fitness, a finesse city titanium utility cutlery set. Am I crazy or crazy useful?
2: Alex, uh, I, saw the, I saw the question. I saw the question and I already bought it. <laughs> was like, boom that's exactly what i'm looking there's for there's your answer <laughs> so yeah the answer is no you're not crazy and the fact that it, the reason that i bought it so quickly is because it has all the utensils and chopsticks because i keep chopsticks i have metal chopsticks because i can eat almost anything except for soup uh even some soups with chopsticks and so so a lot of times i have just have chopsticks um uh that i carry in my bag uh, but uh, but that is just a little bit more complete and at 27 i was like i was like yes 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 please
0: next question Next one comes to us from Juan C. Robles in uh, Mexico City on the panel here. What is your less used gear that you always carry anyway?
3: Javier uh, and Alex, 20 seconds each. Oh,
7: I think that award goes to I have a USB card reader, an SD card and a CF card reader. I almost never use it, but when I really have to get something out of a camera into a computer and have to do it quickly, it's been a saver.
6: Uh, guy, sorry, not out. Yeah, I've been lugging around this uh, monitor, but I'm starting to, f- uh, this is the U-Perfect 17-inch 4K monitor. The nice thing is it's got the um, Visa mount in the back. And so uh, I've been carrying it around, but I've found that with the iPad 12.9-inch, it's got the built-in battery. And with a MacBook, you can just roll your cursor right on over. And most hotel rooms already have a TV. So uh, I've been lugging this thing around and uh, I haven't been using it. So I probably am going to downsize to the 15 or just stop
0: Next question. Next one comes from Chris Widener again in Lafayette, Indiana. I carry three Mevos, three routers, two hotspots, two Rode mics, a DJI wireless mic set, and three monopods with three batteries, two iPads, and two spare iPhones, and one camera life, beef jerky, and miscellaneous cabling. What is in your grab-and-go live broadcasting bag?
3: I think um, you're only missing the partridge and possibly the pear tree, but it may have flowered by the time um, you get everything out of that case. Uh, We don't have anybody biting, so let's just save the time and move on. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, would carrying a small field mixer be useful to deal with unexpected audio failures? Um, The short answer, and I love getting to do this. Yes. Next. Oh, Alex, go ahead.
2: Uh, typically, that's why we have sound devices um, devices in our in our kit. So even if we have a one or we have something having something that is in the past, we had seven forty fours, and uh, of course, as we move to the um, or seven seven eighty eight. I'm sorry, we had a couple. We we would oftentimes have a seven eighty eight, and I have a Scorpio that I take with me to to, to larger things. They can like a Scorpio is nearly a full mixer like with all the routing and everything else that you want to do. So if you had to build something, would it be harder to do than a QL1? Absolutely, um, just because it's just a it's not as many dials, but um, but you could. And so having one of those is very compact and uh, it's very useful.
3: It is the most compact, beautiful ten thousand yeah.
2: dollar piece of brick you'll ever see. <laughs> it costs see. more than the QL1, <laughs> so your, your backup is more more expensive than the than the main line.
3: No joke. Next question. JJ McKenna, Santa Venetia, California. Are there any bags that can be converted into a fly cam rig? Any bag can be converted into a fly cam rig. You're just not going to like the outcome. Just, you know, think of it that way. Um, that, no, I, I don't think there is a transformer bag out there unless Blackmagic has, you know, Photoshopped us a lie that everyone, you know, is trying to find until it gets made somewhere in in, I don't know, Australia was the last one I saw. Um, No one else is biting, so let's move on to our uh, last of the day. It looks like I'm a little bit early, but I don't know. Hopefully, someone will want to hear what Douglas has to ask. Douglas is asking, with the rapidly
0: flattening cost versus performance curve and PC Mac-based lighting control, would carrying an ET uh see Nomad, a MA3 or PC on PC setup not be a bad idea if you're a lighting director in case of console failure. Start us out, Alex.
2: It absolutely makes sense. Yeah, having something having a software-based um system that you can then push back out via some version of a IP to um, DMX uh, controller makes a lot of sense.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, my my immediate fear would be um, how quickly can you get what you need into and out of that? Um, because it's if it's not a perfect substitute, if it's a near-miss substitute, yeah, it might save your bacon, but um, you may end up living to regret it. Bill, what do you think? Well, the
0: only thing I'm saying is that, that I have noticed so much of the things that I used to have to have a dedicated piece of hardware for. It is possible to do a virtualized job on a laptop. Is it ideal? No. And in this particular case, when you want uh, maybe your tactile-based lighting uh, operator and you want as much tactile control as possible, I have found that the things that I've tried to migrate from a device, like mixing with sliders onto an iPad or something like that, it's never been a particularly uh, satisfying process for me. But there are a lot of other things that I used to need hardware for, and we talked earlier about things like... um, uh, sun surveyors and uh, scopes and things like that, that I used to want a piece of hardware for software and my laptop does a really good job these days of making that something that's just built into my workflow and, and the things that I normally carry. So I think that's a plus for me. I think things are getting easier in that respect. Maybe lighting control will go that direction and, and we'll all be happy with it in the
3: future. I love it. What a wonderful second hour. And um, thank you for, for graciously stepping into reading, Bill. I know we were supposed to co-host, but that, um, that, that worked really well. Um, as promised, and I, I didn't get a chance to bring this up, this is my weirdest piece of It's In My Bag. Um, you can get a very small TENS unit. And no joke, if you get an ache and it can truly ruin a week, if you're going to be shooting somewhere for a week, a TENS unit is truly one of the best editions maybe 60 70 bucks and um, they're small and they're very very handy um, one last thing Zima board mine arrived today shipped from China took about two weeks I'm really excited about the potential that these have to um, to basically replace all of the um, all the pcs that um, I never want to see again so uh, that's that very well done and I'd like to thank everybody who does you know the really Good and important work on the back end because uh, without you, um, we'd just be a Zoom meeting and, uh, you know, people have enough of those. We want them to uh, to actually come and join in and check us out at officehours.global. Bill, want to wrap us up?
0: Sure. Just a couple of announcements coming up. Don't forget that today after the show, Isadora Lab with L. Wilson Sparrow. That's coming up. The community events uh, listing also Birding with Lois is having a team meeting in lieu of the show this afternoon starting at 5 p.m. Pacific. So if you're involved with that, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, 1 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And so see the Birding with Lois Discord for more information on that. So those are the closing show announcements. We're ready to take it off. Thank you all.
3: Thank you. That was great. Talalak traversal is how many times
0: over the, over the earth? 69,131
3: miles. It's pretty far. It's uh, farther than
6: Elon Musk's check mark got. Guy, who is that? That puppy is so cute. cute. Oh, I'm Everyone's name in blackout. Is oh,
7: there it is. Yeah, bring it back. Bring it back.